0: Hi everybody, welcome to the Stratosphere Launch. I'm your host, Bill Little, and uh, another perfect launch to another technically perfect program. That's why I'm wearing the SpaceX because our success rate's about the same. Uh, actually, we had, uh, for those of you watching on YouTube, which is the vast majority of people, we had started the show just a moment ago, and, uh, and we were getting like six frames a second. I don't know why, never happened before. Um, what's the solution, you may ask? Well, as it turns out, um, we got some great comments uh, live here on on what might be the problem, and uh, where did it go? Uh, it is um, it, it, this is what actually worked. Oh, is Ian Little uh, came up with a technical su- came up with the technical suggestion that ended up solving the problem. He said to check in the back and make sure that my internet cable wasn't uh, you know cinched wasn't like tied up. Kinked is the word. Make sure your internet hose is not kinked. You need enough room for the internet juice to get through. That's exactly what the problem was. The internet cable was just kind of lying there with a like a kink in it, and slow down the data break. But in any event, we got that uh, sorted, as they say in uh, in the, the British Isles. Uh, this is a Friday night edition of the Stratosphere Lounge. Uh, last night I was uh, kind of hello. Yeah, whoa, whoa. Uh-huh. Uh, last night I was a little tough um uh, Natasha is gone on a um, she she's a, a very she well, first of all she loves to travel and I actually really don't that's the that's the honest truth of it I used to a little now I'm just happy to have a home to go to and um, and so anyway she's got a lot of Russian friends and they do um, they occasionally do these kind of all-girl retreats and stuff, and uh, at least I think they're all-girl retreats. And uh, she had a chance to do that because, look, again, you got to be very careful when you talk about these things because th- the last thing you want to do is say something like, you know, she's hurting as much. When you talk about when you talk about a, a Russian person today uh, in real pain over what's going on. Um. You know, you don't want to sound like that's worse than, you know, what's going on in Ukraine. But she is, uh, she's hurting, you know, real bad, and and all of the that I that I know are hurting real bad. Uh, they're not just feeling all this um, this guilt, uh, but they're also um, deeply worried. You know, I mean, I have a a, a stepdaughter and a mother-in-law in Sochi, which is on the Black Sea, not terribly far from the Crimean Peninsula. I'm not so much worried about uh, that. Um, we are, uh, I'm much more worried about things like, I mean, I've been basically, you know, shipping them money. Not a lot of money, really, because it doesn't need a lot, but just enough to keep body and soul together. And um, and uh, we, we can't do that now. So she's she was just really, really uh, very worried. So um, anyway, so she and some friends went out to this uh, retreat on uh, Joshua Tree. Twitch says I'm offline. I'm streaming. Looks like I'm online. Uh, you might want to re um, you want to try refreshing. I think everybody else says okay. We are streaming, I think. In fact, if we weren't streaming, you couldn't be seeing me. So okay. So. Um, Anyway, uh, she's uh, she's um, out at Joshua Tree. Uh, in the near future, I'm going to post some some stuff that she does. Uh, she's a very um, very spiritual person, very creative person, and uh, she's done an awful lot of painting. And recently, she's um, she has no musical background and no painting background either, uh, but she's very good at both of those things and photography as well, obviously. And um, she recently got. Some of these um, crystal bowls, you know. And you, dong. I don't mean to make fun of them. She's actually very good at it. Um, and so I'll probably post that because it's like, I don't know, an hour and a half of her and she lit the thing and she's just looking gorgeous there and stuff. In any event, um, uh, so she um, needed to get away and, and so she's out with a bunch of her Russian friends in uh, Joshua Tree it's bigger than I wanted she just sent this to me just before the show started went out there uh, earlier today wow, oh, I I guess this is taken kind of well west of our position because you can see the curvature of the earth there Uh, I had not expected uh, that anyway, I'm not going to spend a lot of time flipping this around it's just beautiful out there let's just just leave it at that Um, so, uh, that's why I didn't do the show last night, I really needed to get home and um, and so we're doing it tonight um a couple of other things to talk about before we get to uh the rest of the stuff um on tuesday this is friday on tuesday um we did uh i did uh an interview with uh with the future ruler of the earth it wasn't even an interview it's, it's a wrong it's a conversation with um with Dichter uh, van, van Doomcock, Van Doomcock. And uh, I thought, we thought it was gonna last maybe half an hour, we, we talked for an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, he recorded the whole thing, he's editing it down, but it was just great fun. And um, and really, parts of it were just really swinging. I don't think it's up yet, I just checked his website, but I expect that in the next couple of days, he said he had he's gonna edit it. I don't know how much editing he's gonna do, but there's some really, really great stuff in there. It was really fun. And um, and he definitely uh, wants me back. So, uh, you know, I think he's got a live show going on now. Um, but I think he wants to uh, release that other one first before he lets me in on the, on the crowd. But in any event, it was great. We had a lot of fun. And we talked a lot about the kind of things that we talk about. So there's that. Uh, that's kind of cool. Uh, I have uh, one a new little clip to show you. Uh, last time I showed you uh, the... Um, the first test shot of the uh, antifids The uh, putting together a sales pitch for this to finish off this uh, ds for dungeon thing, and uh, and I keep thinking you guys have seen it, but I realize the only people have seen it are the people watching live. In any event, um, I had been spending weeks getting the motion capture suit linked up and working the new one, and uh, and then last week I showed. A test shot of the Tiffids, where I basically acted out all of the roles, and then um, there's eight different shots of these guys. In fact, it's interesting because when I when I take them into Unreal, um, I I have to turn on the uh, the computer over there, the mouse, click, start recording, and then I have to walk over to there to start the the um, the uh, yeah, I need a, I need some running room. And so every one of these captured animations starts off with me at the desk, clicking the button, and then walking out. And when you put them all together in Unreal and you put a different character, a different, like, orc on each one of these things, they all, and you, you hit run, they all start by turning around and walking to, like, the edge of the grid. And it looks exactly, exactly like somebody said, all right, let's go, places, let's go. Come on, background, let's get moving. Let's go, go, go. So I'm actually going to probably... Um, record that just because I thought it was fun. So, anyway, last week I showed that. Let me show it again. I don't know if have it here somewhere. Um, but there is one new thing uh, that I wanted to show. So, yeah, I want to show it again. So, last week, I think... Where are you, you swine? And I don't see it. I do see the new one, so I'll just show you the new one. So, that was um, that was just a lighting test just to see the animation motion. Um, So, uh, the channel name I mentioned is already taken, Stratosphere Studio is taken, that's what I've been going with, in any event, um, here is, uh, again, the whole idea is to present this as a series of test renders so that we can make a sales pitch to get the money to finish off the Diaz for Dungeon thing. And in order to do that, I'm doing all of the animations. We, sh- we showed you some of the combat stuff a couple weeks ago with the, with the Egyptian kind of guards and stuff. So this is the first, um, I, this is a composed shot. I'm probably going to keep this shot. I may want to add a little bit of lighting, and a little bit dark. But uh, this is the first shot of, um, of the Antiphids, the terrible, terribly uh, terrifying and uh, terrifically taunting uh, uh, kind of guardians. Of, uh, of this demonic castle where the Democrats live. So the whole purpose of this shot and a couple of the next shots is to make them look as terrifying as possible. They come walking out of the fire, and then they do all this threatening stuff, and then I just pull my sword, and Zoe just gets a two-headed grip on the hammer. We don't even advance towards them. We just pull out our weapons. And the second they see that, they all just run away, crying on the ground in the fetal position, wailing, show them for the cowards that they are. But you want to introduce them in a fairly ferocious fashion. So uh, here's um, here's a 10-second clip of the first time you see the Antiphates, which we're told by the voice of doom in the castle, uh, are going to finish uh, Zoe and and, and uh, Prince Alfonso and, and Sir William are going to finish off pretty quickly. So here we go. Forget the guy in the background. That was it kind of scary looking? Let's see him again just for fun. Yeah, that's something. That's not bad. That um that reminds me of uh of the Antifa guys, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Um. I did not ask him yet, a political animal, did I ask Doomcock to be the voice of the castle? I did not, uh, but he'll do it. I'm quite sure he will. Um, so, um triple at the top of the screen. Here, here, here's your, your triple right here. Uh, and by the way, um, we talked about triples when we did the thing with Doomcock. Apparently on Discovery, they've turned trip they've added human DNA to triples and they eat them or something. It's not Star Trek. Uh, but, um, so those are the uh, Antiphids. And then um, somebody pointed out in the comments section, Jammuld for the win! Uh, live, yes, Jammuld for the win. Notice they're all wearing masks. I actually bought and downloaded three other Orc models. They're, they're great models. And, I, and I'm putting them in the scene, more the merrier, and I realized almost all of them are wearing masks. I want them all to wear masks. We'll show you to you one more time. Can I just start it this way? No. Here we go. One more time. Notice they're all wearing masks. Get the triple out of the frame. That's actually a pretty cool shot. I'm real happy with that. So it's really fun. Um, It's really fun uh, to to show these guys that's the whole purpose of doing the the animation it's the whole purpose of doing entertainment-based political messaging right i can tell you that antifa acts like cowards and 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 people can say that but when i talk about antifids defending the castle and needless to say they're coming out of fire because i wanted to represent the burning streets so they come out of the fire and, oh, my God, look at these guys. We, Somebody in the comment section said we should have Zoe and I look at each other. We do. They come out of the thing. We look at each other. They get closer. We draw our weapons. They, they run. And, and, and they and they run in a very cowardly way. They just kind of, you know, cringe. And one of them goes down on his knees and begging for mercy. And the other one calls up in a fetal position. The rest of them just go out. Um, and that's the best way to show these people as cowards. And uh, in the comment section, somebody said you should have... Uh, Bill and uh, w- William and Alfonso look at each other. We do. They come out. I say, "What are these? What what are these? What name hath these base-born barnacles?" I think. Um, and Zoe uh, so says they're called antiphids And I say, uh, "Suits them something like that." We draw our weapons. that go running back. Yeah, no fear of fighting back, says Dwayne Cates, exactly. Uh, and they start running. And as they run away, we're both just left holding our weapons, haven't taken a foot forward. And I, uh, my character turns to Zoe and I say, uh, that was easier than I thought it would be. And he says, yes, brother, Antipids are known far and wide for having the countenance of crocodiles but the hearts of hamsters. So there's that. I also mentioned on a show last time or two, two shows ago something, about how badly uh, online tutorials often are and, and the assumptions that they make. Um, and I ran into a, a case of that that was so comical, I'm just gonna spend a moment to describe it here. Um, so I've been working with a motion capture suit. It's a long story, but uh, and I won't spend a whole lot of time on this, but the Rococo motion suit also is capable of capturing face capture at the same time, and it does it with its own proprietary face uh, capture software. Everything goes into Rococo at the same time, comes out as one file. Fantastic. I'm not saying this is the case because I haven't had a chance to really break it open yet, but it seemed to me that the that the um, the face capture that came with the suit was just somewhat less um, granular, somewhat less detailed than the than the Link the Live Link app that comes with Unreal. So I decided to try and run the Unreal thing. So I've got one program on the PC that's recording, facial, uh, recording body motion capture. I've got Unreal, which is recording the face. And then I also realized, man, I'm going to have to have some kind of audio to match my face, because otherwise it doesn't work. And so I needed to get a little tiny um, microphone, something that I could use to record good quality audio Right in front of me. Now I'll, I'm going to stop for a second here to say that um, uh, again. We uh, I don't know if Phil's Phil's watching now, but there's an audience of two or three for this maybe in the whole world. But nevertheless, when we were working at the planetarium, everything at the everything at the Miami Planetarium from the moment I got there till the last time I walked in the building, and I I'd been working there on and off for about 20 years from '73 to '93, went to college between those two things and so on, but. The place was always so under budget by the way people are remarking on the Gorn which is normally flat up against that wall but he kind of fell off quite a long time ago and for Doomcock I thought well rotate him just make him more visible and that's the first thing you noticed and he said you are already in the uh, good book because of the Gorn captain well, thank you uh, anyway back to the planetarium so everything there was was under budget everything it was just it was we were reusing audio tape when we would do a dub. Of a show, we would run that dub so long that you could see through the tape, and you know, and the, and the can we please just make a new dub off the master? This thing is just not making any sense here. So we we were used to worrying um, about all of the all of the things. Everything was on a was on a shoestring budget always, and we did. Horkheimer had written these amazing pre-recorded shows, and that's what the bread and butter of the thing was. But um, we would occasionally uh, do uh, live lecture shows for kids in the morning. It was the first shows I did was 15 or 16, and I was teaching other 16, 17-year-olds about astronomy, and I would just talk for 45 minutes. Uh, And also, when we would uh, start the show, we'd always do our same introduction, which I can almost remember. Um anyway when we had to do it for a long time we needed a way to hold the microphone and and on any other uh operation somebody would have just gone out and bought a nice lavalier mic we didn't have to have a you know didn't have to be wireless you just could plug it in but they would have bought a, a nice lavalier mic no 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 no, no, not for the miami planetarium ladies and gentlemen uh-uh. we had a big honkin cardioid mic weighed about 35 pounds and we need our, both our hands in order to operate the, the console. So somebody, I don't think it was Phil, I think it existed before you got there, Philip. But somebody had built something that was a wireframe thing, and it went over your head like this, and it looped around the back of your neck, came down to about here, at which point somebody had put on a heavy, heavy-duty, like... Uh, like a like a, a dowel, like a steel dowel, like a thick thick wire that didn't bend. And then they mounted a microphone attachment here. so you had this big honking microphone right in front of your face here. That actually gave you pretty good sound. but you had this enormous you know thing over this. And Doug Gagan, uh, rest his soul, uh, I love those days when you didn't have to worry about political correctness and stuff. He referred to this as the as the palsy brace. So that's what it was known at. The whole time was uh, put on the palsy brace. So that was 40, 50 years ago, something like that. And then recently I realized I've got another palsy brace that I have to deal with, which is this creature. Now this one is um, it's relatively inexpensive. It's uh, 3D printed. But if I had the original palsy brace, I would be golden, because then I'd be nothing but a... I would look like a guy... Um, who just had like a broken neck in, uh, you know, in the 30s. Uh, so I've got this thing, and it's here's the iPhone, and the iPhone's recording my facial motion capture, and, and I've got a sensor on the back to record the head motion, and, and, and somebody said, nerd, uh, Royce, he called me a nerd, how dare you? What on earth makes you get that impression? Uh, so here you are doing this thing, right? And, and it's heavy. Now, I needed a microphone here. The camera won't do it. Because it's busy recording the facial motion capture, so I had to find a little microphone, and I found uh, I found this. This is the Rode uh, Wireless Go to I've got some Rode products. I like them a lot. They're Australian company. So um, I should have put. Actually, you know what I should have done? They've just released the mask mandate went away today in California as we record this. I should have put like an entire plastic thing around there, and and called it um, and called it my uh, COVID defense. <laughs> if I if I'd labeled that thing COVID defense, I would have offers to buy it from many many people here in uh, Cowardville. So here you go. Here's the um, here's the Rode uh, Wireless Go to It's completely wireless, and it's this big, and uh, it it's got a receiver. This is the receiver. This is the transmitter. You can clip it here and you get really good quality sound, or you can add a little lavalier mic. But I could clip this onto the front of the Palsy Brace, like I did, you know, right here. I'm just going to clip it like right here, and now I'm getting good quality audio. Great! That was the plan. So I go and get these things. It's about 300 bucks, but it's worth it because now I can use these for firewalls and other things. Instead of the, uh, you know, the, the stationary mic we have out there, which is prone to a lot of buzz, and I have to take that out digitally. Um, so I get the I get the Rode uh, Podcaster two, I'm sorry, the Rode uh, Go to wireless. So I go great. How does it work? And I turn them on. I plug them in, charge them up, turn them on. Great. And I've got this thing going. I got this thing going. Great. I got levels. How does it record? And so I install the software, and then I'm thinking, okay let's see how to make this thing record and I watch seven tutorials and they're telling me you can go with a channel or B channel it's a dual channel thing you can put in a second one fantastic you can adjust the levels here by doing this this says okay great you can record a backup version directly onto the transmitter as well on and on and on and they're going on and on, watching 25 30 40 minutes of of tutorials on this thing and not one of them not one of them showed you how to turn it on so it would record. None of them. I'm looking at the levels on this thing. It's a nice little piece of gear, actually. I'm really very happy with it. But, uh, hang on. Yeah. So you get all the little levels are happening there. Oh, I gotta turn this thing on, too. Anyway, so it's doing all this stuff, and I'm thinking, great, except it's not recording. And no matter how many times, I looked at the I looked at the quick setup guide. Here it is, fantastic. I'll hook this up here, great. And then you can do this. You can talk to your cartoon friends and so on. Nothing anywhere, anywhere ever on how to turn the thing on to record. I got a signal from the transmitter. I I got a signal from the uh, receiver. I'm getting levels on the receiver. How do you turn it on? <sighs> so after watching my sixth tutorial on these things i see on the first couple that there's a little red light a little REC button when it's recording can't get it to happen i'm checking all these tutorials on youtube finally i glance at a tutorial that's talking about the fantastic features of the of the uh, road go to uh, wireless system uh and i notice that on the software on like a, a, a hidden menu there's like a record button there and it turns out that you have to have this thing plugged into your computer via um, a USB. And then you have to go into this device and you have to turn on always record. And so the second I turn that thing on, it starts recording. That's not optimal either because I want to be able to turn it off. These things are designed for, for uh, web blogs, right? So normally it'd be like for the stratosphere line show, that'd be fine. Turn it on once, leave it on, talk, 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 turn it off, I'm done. But I've got to do relatively quick little four or five minute cuts, and in some cases I'm gonna have to do 20 second cuts. So turning it on and off, a little inconvenient, especially when it's clipped on here. But anyway, finally got it working, and I just, I could not believe it. I could not believe how much of an assumption people made made me feel like an absolute idiot, but then I realized there's no record button on this thing and there's no record button on the software that's what I thought, okay I'm going to turn on the, the, the software with the PC or and it'll, and it'll talk to, the, no, you have to go inside the re, you have to double click on the receiver you have to go inside, and you have to turn on the record it was just insane insane anyway <clears throat> um Yesterday, before I went home early, uh, I um, I did manage to record uh, uh, a number of takes of me doing uh, animation that has been holding me up for the project. It's me coming forward with the torch, putting one foot up on the staircase, reading the parchment sign that says, Thou must be wearing a visor in order to enter this dungeon, turning to talk to Alfonso, got the sound recorded, haven't had a chance to put it together yet, I'll do it when I um, when I get home anyway so much for that uh, okay um, I think I think that's it uh, so we will get to questions I've been checking the news nothing seems to be major that has happened uh, since Monday I mean nothing major major however i did see on insta pundit yesterday two stories that both obviously rumors and there may be nothing to them one of them seems a little more credible than the others but it's what i've been looking for it's it's the story's got my attention because it's what I've been looking for. By the way, did you see the, the tweet that Patri- Patricia Arquette put out? Because uh, celebrities are always the ones that really need to advise us on on which matters we should you know, take seriously and want to do in, in emergencies. Uh, uh, Patricia Arquette said that in order to punish Putin, uh, we should kick Russia out of NATO. Okay. Uh, anyway, here were the two stories. One of them was One of these um, Russian oligarchs, gangsters, um, what is it, banditos, Natasha calls them, um, put a bounty of $1 million, not on Zelensky's head, on Putin's head. And the reason I thought that was really interesting was because this is my prediction. I didn't say it in the um, Putin in prison uh, moving back to America, I'll say it now. My prediction is, and sooner rather than later, I think within a month, this is. If I had to guess, I think he's going to be deposed. I don't think it's going to be a violent coup. I think he's just going to be deposed. And the reason I think that is because he doesn't have a power base, and we'll come to that in a second. So one story was that some one of these Russian gangsters who apparently blew up apartment complexes back in the in the crazy '90s when communism went away and they had no law there was no structure in 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 russia for law it was just you couldn't you know forget lawsuits there was no property ownership the strong and the powerful bribed the judges and bribed the courts if you were in a traffic accident the person who was found guilty was the person who didn't have as much money as the other guy the guy with the most money paid the judge and that was how the verdict went still true today somebody pointed out uh, on one of our shows not long ago that um that One of the reasons you see so many uh, road accidents on, um, I think Steve might have pointed it out on on right angle. You see a lot of uh, road accidents on Russian roads on YouTube because just about everybody in Russia has dash cams, digital dash cams, because there's no insurance. Because the insurance and the courts are so corrupt, if you don't have visual video evidence of somebody else running into you or you running into somebody else, you just forget it. it just, there's no law there. One of the first things Natasha told me about about uh, Moscow was that was that there were people in Moscow. The traffic in Moscow is apparently worse than Los Angeles, and I believe that because the streets are are much narrower. And she said that it was relatively common in Moscow for for people who were very wealthy, especially with nice cars, to get from one end of the city to the other in traffic. They would simply Either find or call an ambulance, and bribe them. Here's a hundred bucks. Turn on your siren. Go ripping through the town, and we'll be right behind you. That's the kind of lawlessness that that you have. Yes, and, and that's a good point. To uh, Astronaut once said that's how they catch so many meteors. So, so many of the videos come from Russia because everybody's recording everything all the time. But yeah, when I heard they what no yeah they 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 just hire ambulances to turn on their sirens just go blasting through town and they follow and in fact when we were driving here on the freeways in stopped traffic bumper to bumper traffic she could not believe that the right lane was left open you know the lane you're supposed to be using for emergencies nobody was driving in that lane because it's against the law she said in Russia not a chance everybody would be going down there so this is kind of general lawlessness but the reason that first one um, got my attention was because um, if A Russian bandito is feeling confident enough to actively announce that he's putting a million dollar bounty on um, on uh, Putin's head maybe it's a publicity stunt or maybe he just leaked it out or maybe it didn't happen all of these things are possible but nevertheless that's a sign that he's not afraid of Putin so there's one story the other story had a little more um, little felt a little more tangible the other story said that in the last, uh, in the first week of the war, there were at least three sophisticated, organized, professional attempts to assassinate Zelensky from the Russian government. Uh, like, like two, what's the KGB called now? The FBA or something? The piece of it, federal whatever. KGB is the right word for these guys. Three attempts to 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 kill the Ukrainian president and they said all three of them were foiled, and they were foiled very early. RSB, thank you, it's probably the Russian Security FSB, Federal Security Bu- Bureau, something like that. Okay, FSB. So, a number of, of three three professional hit teams went out to kill Zelensky, and, the, and Zelensky's Ukrainian security forces were able to intercept them and stop them and do it early, like not at the front, not at the door with Zelensky hiding behind a desk. And the story said that it, it seems to be indicating that the Ukrainians had been tipped off by the FSB, that, that people inside the intelligence agency of Russia had tipped off the Ukrainians for an assassination attempt because they realized if that if they assassinate Zelensky, then, um, then their problems get much, much worse, and they're already biting. So... I don't think he's going to last, and I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. And the reason I think this is not wishful thinking, I don't think there's going to be a military coup. But what I know about Russia since the arrival of Putin is that Putin essentially owns the country. He owns the gas revenues and oil revenues. It's all his, basically, like any others are. And how he operates that country is through cronyism he will have former gangsters, who were probably communist you know, torturers before that, then the Soviet Union Falls, and then they, it's just these strongmen that go out and intimidate people, talked about this last time. Okay, and so he, he, he rules through patronage. This is how most dictators rule. You got a, a tough guy from, oh, I don't know, uh, let's, Smolensk. And he's the toughest guy in Smolensk, and so he becomes Putin's guy in Smolensk, and as a result of this, this individual guy gets to keep most of the money that comes out of Smolensk, and so on and so on and so on. That's how it works. So his entire power structure is predicated on cronyism. And when you cut off the money, what happens to your supply base? In other words, during the Cold War, the, the, the supply the power base of the of the chairman of the, uh, the secretary of the Communist Party had a power base of a political party. Putin doesn't have that, and he doesn't have the communist ideology behind him. It's all, it's all disbursements. The people who are loyal to him are loyal to him because he pays them. So if the West sanctions, which I think are much, much worse than what he ever thought, if, he cuts, if we cut off that money spigot, and we have been, and we're targeting not just Putin personally, but all of these oligarchs, some guy's got a $900 million yacht, and now the yacht is impounded and going to be taken away because of this Ukraine thing. What does that do to the guy who owns the yacht? Right? What's the point of being a, a, a Russian dictator, strongman? What's the point of being a number two guy or a number seven guy or a number 14 guy If you're not making money, if you've you've gotten all of this money over the years so that you can have a nine hundred million dollar yacht, and now you can't have your yacht anymore, what does that do to your support of Putin, who has made this decision? That's costing you money. So, yes, and uh, Hella says not to mention targeting all the people whose money is worth ten percent overnight, ten percent overnight. Russian bank went from 100% of its value to 2% of its value in about four days. Natasha said to her dismay that there's a lot of Russians who support Putin, and I don't doubt that at all. Every country has uh, nationalistic and patriotic elements. You like to think that those patriotic elements are aligned to being on the right side. But nevertheless, my reply to that was, so what, you know? the russian people are not his power base he doesn't give a damn about the russian people uh, so who is keeping him in power it's the it's the group that he's assembled over the years putin's a, a dictator and what he wants is what happens but he doesn't he doesn't turn every valve on every single water purification plant in the country by himself this has an entire cascade of, of people so I think, I think he's going to be deposed and, and sooner rather than later, much sooner rather than later. Now, if that happens, then I think it would be in the interest of the West to release not only the sanctions that – well, rephrase that. If Putin is deposed and the Russians find some way to just sort of back out of Ukraine – then I think that they should release the sanctions that they've imposed. And if it turns out that, that that the guy who replaces him is somebody like his first foreign minister who's running an opposition party called the you know, Freedom Party, if you put somebody like that in, then you should release all the sanctions. It's a carrot and a stick. I mean, we're using the stick because there is no carrot for Putin except for territory and glory and more money. If he's deposed, depending on who deposes him, could be somebody worse, but if it's not, then you should remove the sanctions because essentially Putin and his top military are the people that did it. You, you then go from, from stick mode into carrot mode, and then you basically say, okay, good. You got rid of this criminal, this gangster, who basically unilateral, it's, his, it's one man's war. I'm not aware of any other history case that is quite so much one man's war. Maybe, I don't know, during the Hundred Year War, the War of the Roses or something, but basically it's his war. And if he's deposed and they pull a lot of the sanctions that would be good and if it turns out by some miracle they go to some relatively um you know sane uh form of of government then you should pull all the sanctions i don't know why i do know why i just can't explain it to you and i can't explain it to anybody but russia should be part of the eu i mean the, the, their historical isolationism, as I mentioned in the Putin in prison thing, we look at the U- Russian border with Ukraine and we think, oh, a long border. Moscow is essentially on the far western border. Russia is so huge that it's 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 like a seven eight hour flight from Moscow to Novosibirsk, and Novosibirsk isn't even halfway. To Vladivostok. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, I think he's going down. I, I, I don't think there's going to be an armed revolution. I don't think that you know that the people are gonna storm the 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 Kremlin. I don't believe any of that. I don't believe tanks are gonna roll. If I had to bet, I would say that the that the people who are are the gangsters who are basically his government will get uh will get um, tired of having their money taken away. And I think they want it back. So uh, yeah, EM Man says Russia is mostly in Asia. That Not only is that true, but Asia is mostly Russia. Get out of globe. Anyway, um, I will do questions, but I'm hoping that's uh, I'm hoping a lot of people seem to be saying, can we get a break from the Ukraine thing? That makes me happy, certainly. So, uh, now something else to talk about, of subs. I'm on a couple of email chains, and uh, I do that because uh, I get, mostly I get, you know, fun stuff. It's kind of aviation politics, and mostly I do it to see the, the cartoons, you know, memes and stuff. But there's a lot of semi-serious stuff that goes out there. And one of them... Well, about three weeks ago, I guess, was a link to something called um, grand jury. They, I think they've just wrapped it up, end of February, middle of end, middle of February, to end of February. There was a virtual grand jury. It's not, doesn't have any legal teeth. That's why fact checkers have said it's fake. It, it doesn't have legal teeth, so on some level, it is fake. But. Um, what it, what it was, was a, a grand jury composed of expert testimony, and if I understand this correctly, what a grand jury basically does is determine whether or not there are enough grounds for the prosecution to bring charges and, and therefore go to trial. So this proceeding was not designed was not necessarily designed to prove um, guilt, but it was designed to make a case for there being enough evidence to prove guilt. So that's what it was. It was a grand jury indictment, the world is the jury, to make the case that, that the pandemic uh, was and continues to be something very, 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 very different Than what we've been told it is. Now uh, we're recording this on um, on uh, Twitch, and we post it on YouTube. And I find, to my disgust, it's not disgust really, it's disappointment. I have to pull some punches because uh, all my stuff is posted on YouTube and. We have one strike against us, two strikes. We, we don't post for two weeks and three strikes. All that material comes down. Uh, we've had some offers for people to help get that downloaded and that's great, but I'm telling you now, and I don't know when it's going to happen, I'm just gonna tell you it is going to happen. Uh, I've been listening to this grand jury thing and the sessions are about five hours long. The first one was three, the second two were five hours each. And I'm on the third session, I'm on the fourth day now. And you listen to five hours of testimony And you come out of there prior to day three you come out of there with okay in the five hours that i just listened to i can make a very compelling two minutes the first thing i looked at when i listened to this thing was who is doing the testifying it's worldwide it's worldwide experts from everywhere but we weren't dealing with people who um you know a lot of times this is something i learned from carl sagan in terms of critical thinking you see oh well there's a PhD. a phd says that this data is true and sagan pointed out well if if it's an astronomical issue and the the guy who's making the comments has a phd in chemistry might as well be anybody else so first thing i do when i listen to these kind of things before i even listen to them is i look at the credentials who is the person who's going to be doing the testifying in this case and the first day had to deal with the money background and stuff, and that that was interesting. But you, you just don't want to go where, just don't don't go there. But once I started getting into the actual science, um, then I started looking at who's doing the testifying, and in every single case, it's the director of virology for uh, Swiss. Uh, hospitals. It's a, it's a geneticist with 25 years of, of PhD work in, in, in uh, genetic engineering and 15 years of research in RNA. Before that, I'm looking at all of the credentials for these people, and they're superb. And some of the credentials were things like a guy was a, a, an undertaker in the United Kingdom for 15 or 20 years, and he processes dead bodies. And he testified what he was seeing. Um, okay, so... So all of this stuff, and you have to be very, very careful because one false piece of data will destroy the argument. It shouldn't be that way, but that's how it works in the age of internet and videos. So I'm telling you now, I don't know when it comes out, but I am going to do a a I am going to do an atomic bomb level firewall. By that I mean extensively researched and extensively cited. On this whole thing. But here's a couple of things I can tell you what I've learned so far. Uh, the first thing I've learned a lot, but the, the but the major points are, number one, we have pandemic levels of infection because of the results of the COVID tests. You can't say there's a pandemic if you don't know whether or not people have COVID or not, SARS, SARS-CoV-2. Okay. And the first thing I learned was that the tests that not only ended up that we used, but the the tests that became by government fiat the standardized tests throughout the world are a, a PCR test. Uh, I used to know what that means, but I used to know what the PCR means. It's it's probably something. Um, Reproduction. Basically, what a PCR, what a PCR thing does is, it takes a very, very small amount of DNA and magnifies it, multiplies it. Okay. Now, PCR is an extremely useful scientific tool to multiply polymerase chain reaction. Thank you, uh, Lord, Lord Sank, Lord Sank. Sorry, uh, the pale green against white is tough on my eyes. Polymerase chain reaction. So basically again here's here's where I'm useful right I, I know just enough science and I have just enough horsepower in the in the top to be able to take what real brilliant people are saying and understand it enough to make it something that we can all understand. So my understanding is that these these polymerized chain reactions basically take a small amount of DNA and multiply it into a large enough sample so that you can then do, testing on it, and, and so on and so on. So a typical use of this might be on a crime scene where you've got like a blood speck on the wall or something. You need to multiply the DNA that's present in order to be able to identify the, um, the murderer. But PCR tests have never, in, my, in, in the testimony that I understand, is that they have never been used to diagnose an issue because they'll multiply anything Right, they'll multiply whatever is there, and and so it is not a diagnostic tool; it's a research tool. One of the people testified, and this woman designs viral tests for Swiss hospitals or the Swiss government. She's been doing it for 25 years. She designs tests to determine whether somebody has a specific uh, infection, a specific vi- presence of a specific virus, and she said that when we design a test, we're looking for a gene sequence. You know, the the four letter CTAG. We're looking for a gene sequence that's long enough to identify this virus, but we have to pick a gene sequence that doesn't appear anywhere else. So she would say that we would check veterinary vaccines. We'd check against, you know, anything. The entire database of DNA that's been collected around the world from things like mosquitoes and flatworms and all of it. They go into this database and make sure that their test is not replicating pre-existing uh, DNA sequences, because they want to be sure that whatever it is they're testing for is unique to the virus that they're looking for. Okay, so far so good. One specific strand of of, of uh, gene sequences that they're looking for. Well, the the P, the the uh, the, uh, the, uh, the PCR test that's in use now looks for three. And the three are not terribly specifically refined, and this test is not designed to be a diagnostic test in the first place. So after five hours of of testimony from actual scientists, what I discovered was was that the PCR test that's in use around the world is not a good way to diagnose whether you have uh, COVID or not, because essentially it just magnifies whatever there. If there is any, if there's a trace of, of COVID in the lab. And these labs are not run by professionals you know if there's a trace of it it could be multiplied anywhere they said expert after expert after expert said the pcr test is designed to do one thing and that is return positive results they said that nobody ever measured the number of false positive it produces but it's they they think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 or 40 percent, and maybe higher so what they're saying is it's not so much a pandemic of covid as a pandemic of pcr test results that is interesting and i got to find a way to boil this down and 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 show the the data the evidence and source it and counter source it you you want to follow the science here's actual science so so not only was the pcr test universally realized to be a faulty way to do it but they not only had a faulty way to do it but you had to use this extra faulty system that was looking at three Unisolated uh, genetic streams and returning all these false positives. Same math as global warming. I agree with that. Be far. So now we have the whole world returning COVID infection numbers based on this PCR test that's not designed to be a diagnostic tool. Hang on, Jammu said. According to a medical study out of Oxford University, with a cycle threshold of thirty-five, it produces ninety-seven percent false positives. Western countries around the world have been using cycle thresholds of forty to forty-five. What's what's that going to produce? Ninety-nine point nine percent false positive. I'm I'm virtually positive that a cycle threshold is thirty-five is the number of times that the DNA is amplified. So you amplify it once, and you get a little. You amplify it again, you get this. So so at thirty-five. Cycles. It's at 97 percent. At 40 to 45, which is apparently what we're using, it's essentially 100 percent. It's a meaningless thing. You just get false positive. That's what the test is designed to do. The test is not designed to tell whether or not the person's got COVID. The design is designed. The test is designed to return a positive result for um, for uh, COVID. Okay. So so there's that. So now all of this. Worldwide pandemic numbers are coming from something that is uh, not at all anchored. Then other people testified about the number of times that they, at hospitals, have been pressured by mysterious government people to to make every single death that comes in somehow connected to COVID. And we're not going to get into that because we all know about the difference between dying of COVID and dying re- with COVID. But it's been pointed out again and again and again and again and again that. Well, one of the truest things in the world is whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And when you find out that a hospital gets a 20% bonus what, from insurance companies or the government, if it turns out it's a COVID test, then not only do you have uh, an ideological reason to call it a COVID death, you have a financial reason. And no one is going to sit there and say, wait a minute now. You said this person died of COVID, but we've taken a look at the original blood samples and no. You got somebody who died of a heart attack? Here's an extra twenty dollars on the hundred dollars if you just tick this box. And the experts have listed the actual protocols.'ve they've got, the, num- they've got the, the insurance codes necessary. There's two insurance codes that you need. and if you fill out these codes on the death certificate, then the insurance company hits you with an extra with an extra pushback. okay? So there's that. Then there's a guy, and now I have to be careful, but I won't be careful on this thing. On this thing, I'm coming out with the guns blazing. We're going to post it on Rumble, and I don't give a damn what people say. But then we started getting into day three. We started getting real testimony. We had two in a row after listening to, I don't know, nine people, ten people who were very, very, very good scientists, but not very good uh Rhetorically, yesterday I heard two guys in a row. One was a doctor in Texas, and he said that his father-in-law had contracted COVID and was sent to the hospital and blah, 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 and eventually died, but died of renal failure, kidney failure. And they started looking at all of the people who had been hospitalized. And what the evidence seems to indicate, this is not vaccine related. what what this guy's research and he's isolating things the way a scientist would, he's using control groups and so on. What this first guy in, in Texas said was that the, was that essentially all of the deaths recorded as being related to the virus were not virus related respiratory deaths they were organ failures they were they were liver failures heart failures all this stuff furthermore the the, the uh, that the drug i'm going to again i'm, I'm going to just pull my punches here because i know youtube is looking for keywords but the only drug that is officially sanctioned produces things like edema. makes it, 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 it puts liquids into the lungs. is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. And then, then this guy presented a list of 20 medications, and it showed their efficacy against COVID-19. 20 of them. The number one medication showing something like a 98% positive response. We're not talking about toxicity now. I don't remember the name of it, but I will get it at a 98% effectiveness rate, and essentially zero negative side effects. And down you go, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, and so on. And then you get down to the 19th of the 20, which is remezdivir, and I'll learn how to pronounce that correctly too, which is 2% effective. The 98% effective treatment costs a dollar the our treatment down at the bottom costs $3,700 and is producing most remdesivir. Thank you. Remdesivir is producing toxic reactions that are nuts. So that was powerful. And then yesterday I finished hearing testimony that was simply the most astonishing 45 minutes to an hour that I've ever listened to on this subject or any other medical subject the second doctor the first doctor laid out the evidentiary We're not talking about Victrolas Now. This is pre Victrolis. This is this is standardized treatment protocols and the Remdesivir is Not good, but it's the only drug that is authorized And for treatment and all of the others they say are not authorized but he shows here are the effectiveness in 19 different trials or 40 different trials here's their list of effectiveness so okay but the but the part that knocked me down knocked me down is is this the next guy to testify was an Indian doctor an Indian chap uh, whose practice is in South Africa and for an hour This brilliant man, brilliant man, wasn't trying to make a case. He's just showing what he did. And and for the first time in this pandemic, I listened to an actual doctor using actual medical training to figure out what's going on here. He, He started off by saying, we're trained as doctors. We're not lab technicians. We don't use tests to diagnose diseases. We use tests to confirm a diagnosis if our diagnosis and our treatment plan doesn't appear to be working. So basically, what he did was he put all of this outside information away and said, let's just look at what's happening. What is, what is actually happening? Let's diagnose this thing. So, and by the way, the test referring to is the test that produced all these false positives. So, this guy is working in, in South Africa and he's dealing with patients from all across the spectrum and he says so first wave here's what we saw people would come in with flu-like symptoms and we knew we had, and I'm condensing him enormously we knew we had a respiratory virus of some kind something's causing flu-like symptoms and, and some problems breathing and he said what we saw again and again and again and again and again was these people would have some respiratory issues they denounced the first day of symptoms and then eight days later after they would basically recovered from the respiratory issues eight days later they would instantly have the onset of breathlessness in some cases some cases and he noticed that the patients he was seeing in south africa were almost almost exclusively Black patients. And he said, this is probably due to the fact that they're poorer neighborhoods and they can't do the isolation social distance. So, this is in the beginning of the pandemic. So, he sees primarily black patients coming in. And he says, there's an eight day period between the onset of symptoms and where some people will have a very adverse effect, maybe minor, maybe moderate, maybe severe, or it may be fatal, but it's going to follow those first symptoms by eight days. So he continues to do his work, and he's checking on all this other stuff, and, and he's warning his patients. He says, "If you show up breathless, if you feel breathless on the eighth day, call me immediately." Okay. So he's treating it with. He said, "My first thought with the viral thing was to treat it with a known antiviral um, drug." That we, he said, "I like to use. Uh, I prefer to use medications that were that were um, that were on, on board the ark when Noah was there." He said, "I want. I, I don't prescribe anything unless I can help it." I want to prescribe things that are known, that have been around for 20, 40, 50, 100 years, and have known properties and so on. He's a doctor. So he basically says, um, so needless to say, when I realized we had a, 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 some kind of an initial viral reaction, I prescribed hydroxychloroquine. And sure enough, it cleared up those, um, cleared up those respiratory issues like that. But it did not address the eight-day-later follow-on thing. He said, then we saw the second wave come. And to my astonishment, he said, I noticed that the second wave was primarily Indian patients, not nearly so many blacks, not nearly so many whites, and that the eight-day delay after that was mostly gastrointestinal issues rather than uh, respiratory issues. And I'm condensing living daylights out of this. Then he said the third wave primarily affected Caucasian patients and the eight-day hit after that was uh, neurological, having neurological complications. So, the short form is, the short, 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 short form is, was that he said that the, 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 the virus was causing the respiratory issues in the beginning, but what was happening, he said, the thing that ha- the thing that puzzled him and the thing that alerted him to it was after this eight-day period, most people, yeah, brain fog, that kind of neurological thing, tingling in the in the in the body, that kind of thing. But he said, after that eight-day period, some people would have no reaction, some people would have a moderate reaction, some people would have a mild reaction, some people would have a severe reaction, but it was always the same period afterwards. And then after the next wave came, the the the, the patients were different racially and and their and their follow-up symptoms were, were different three times but that but that period remained the same and look i have to dig a lot deeper into this before i stand on this okay so right now i'm just going to put a caveat out there by saying this is my first introduction to this and i got a lot more research to do but basically what he said was that that the respiratory seizures and then and then the neurological thing in the stomach and the neurological thing he said it looked like an allergy to me he said, the reason it looked like an allergy to me is because people have, when exposed to an allergen, people will have this kind of varying reaction. If you're exposed to an allergen, most people won't have a problem with it. He used the example of a bee sting. If you, if you get stung by a bee, most people will just, oh, my arm hurts, you're a little bump there with a bee stung you. People with a mild reaction might find, you know, swelling a little bit bigger, moderate reaction might result in a rash and a, and a severe reaction might result in you having difficulty breathing and a and a, and a person who's extraordinarily uh, allergic to a bee sting will die. And he said that's what we're seeing as a result of this thing. It looks like an allergy. So, his conclusion was that it that that the that the fatalities were coming from this rebound and that the fatalities were actually allergic reactions. Allergic reactions. So with the first wave, he said that the follow-up eight-day thing was not terribly severe, so he prescribed antihistamines and some steroids. He said when we saw the second wave with the gastrointestinal things, he said it was more severe, so we upped the steroid dose, we kept them on antihistamines, same thing for the third wave. This doctor treated Personally, he said, "I personally touched." Okay, it's an important, important, important distinction. He he is a doctor. He's looking at symptoms. He's trying to figure out what's what's infecting people. What's common? In other words, he's using the scientific. He's an actual doctor. And he said, "Okay, one of the things he said was it was so profound to me. It just it just seemed so logical." Was he said. The way I measure the accuracy of my diagnosis is, is, speed to, is speed to recovery. In other words, if I think it's X and I prescribe an, a, a medication for X and that person gets better right away, then my diagnosis is probably accurate. If I think it's X and I expri- and I prescribe medicine X and the recovery is slow or non-existent, then I've got the diagnosis wrong. So I'll try something else. You know, what, what a novel freaking concept right? So what he did was he took he took a look at these things and he started prescribing this stuff and he, antihistamines and all the rest of it. And he found out that the response was astonishing. He said he had people that came into his clinic with an 80% blood oxygen saturation level, should be around 98%. Reason it gets low is because you're having trouble breathing. Breathlessness means your blood oxygen is low. So your body is trying to compensate by pumping more oxygen through your system by just upping the exchange rate. <sighs> That's why you why you pant when you finish running? Because your oxygen levels are low. So he had people at 80%, which is pretty low. He put them on had antihistamines. He said 90 minutes later they were at 98%, which is right up to normal. He said he had people come into his clinic with 40%, 40% blood oxygen level. That's that's you know an hour away from dying. He said a week later, they were at 98%, and they were fine his contention is is that the allergen is the spike protein that that when you get the when you get the initial viral infection the virus multiplies it's got it's a coronavirus which means it's got spike proteins on the side and when your immune system defeats that virus the virus no longer replicates but there are trillions of of dead viruses, the trillions of these little dead spiky proteins floating around in your bloodstream because your immune system has killed the virus, it's not replicating anymore, but the debris is still there. And he said, I became convinced that people were having an allergic reaction to the debris, that, that, that hypersensitive people were having reactions that looked like an allergic response. And the only thing that was common to them was the presence of this spike protein and so he basically said I think this is it he treated he touched 10,000 patients they asked him at the grand jury of the 10,000 patients how many of your patients died he said four of them died and the four that died were the four that were taken to the hospital against my advice because the families were overly worried and they got into the hospital and they put them on uh ribbon and and that's it. This is exactly what that doctor in New York was saying in April of 2020. Exact same exact same thing. Actual doctor treating patients. So his contention is that that people are having a that the that the reaction either in terms of a respiratory attack or, um, or a gastronomical attack or a nervous system attack. Yes, Dr. Zelenko, but this is a guy from South Africa whose name should be emblazoned in gold statues all around the world because he's the only person I ever heard who treated this like an actual doctor and a scientist. And he said, we were seeing the rebound, the time period was the same, but we were seeing a rebound that looked an awful lot like an allergic reaction. No reaction from most people, some people with sensitivity, and then the hypersensitive people, whatever percentage of the bell curve that is, were dying. And I thought, okay now. Now, 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 now. Now we're on to something really important. So the first doctor of the two that were really outstanding showed the toxic effects of remdesivir. And it is the only drug that, is, that hospitals are allowed to administer throughout the world. One of the side effects of this is uh, is kidney failure, organ failure, liver failure, and a, an excess of fluids, which is precisely what you don't want when people are having breathing problems. Because if your body is producing excess fluids, then you get fluids in the lungs, you get pulmonary edema, and you essentially drown in your own in your own fluids. Um, so Dave Bigbuddy asks a good question: Who's most vulnerable? The people who have the, lots of allergies. What he's basically saying, I think, is to say that. That, that no one has ever experienced, that this has not been, this is this is new. And so I don't know if people who are allergic to bee stings are more prone to be allergic to peanuts. I just don't know the answer to that. In other words, are there people who have overactive, because an allergic reaction is when your immune system attacks itself. Um, and so I don't know whether... A propensity to being allergic to one thing means propensity to being allergic to something else. I suspect not, but whatever it is, he said our evidence and the world evidence, not just in South Africa, the world evidence, was that this fatal rebound was was following the classic pattern of, of allergic reaction. Then a guy came on who was an undertaker in Britain, and he said we were starting to see um, you know what, I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna tell you. I'm gonna post this one on Rumble, I'll put a link to it on, on YouTube, so F Um The Undertaker said that he started seeing incoming fatalities of, of young people with old people problems. Uh, pulmonary edema, heart issues, inflammation of the heart muscles, all of this stuff and that worried him but the really scary part of his testimony was he actually contracted covid and um he he was an undertaker he wasn't a doctor but he knew that something funny was going on and people had come to his uh mortuary house a big one and said ask government people said how many people can your can your place actually handle at a given time what's your capacity things like that. By the time he gets sick and goes to the hospital, he's a fully skeptical guy. They put him in the hospital and when he gets there, they berate him for about a half an hour for not being vaccinated and demand that he gets vaccinated immediately and he says, no. Okay. Well, you're having trouble breathing? Yes. Well, we're going to, we're going to take you in, we're going to put you in a bed and uh, we'll give you remdesivir. He said, no, you're not doing that either. Uh, Okay. So this guy goes into the hospital. He's fighting off the COVID naturally. He's in real trouble, but he's not in, he's in trouble, but he's not in death's door trouble. He's in a room with two other people, and he has to spend the night listening to these people drowning, basically, because the fluids are building up in in the lungs. And he said somewhere around 2 o'clock in the morning, nurses come in and administer morphine uh, For the uh, for the coffin, it's, it's a euthanasia shot, and he saw it with his own eyes, and and other people have backed it up. Once he came public with this, he got emails and letters from everybody, from from nurses who knew there was something going on, doctors. Everybody's just intimidated by this whole thing. This is is this hearsay? It is. Is it is it enough to build a case on? Nope, but. When you start to get, this is, this is why I'm good at this kind of thing, because I know how far you can take evidence, and you, I know what evidence has to look like. The best indication that the people who are administering this drug and this treatment protocol, the best indication that they know that something is wrong, is that the number of people as a percentage who are refusing the vaccine, the number one group of people refusing the vaccine are the people who have to administer the vaccine. What does that tell you? What does it tell you when 40,000 nurses say, I'd rather lose my job, in the middle of this so-called pandemic, I'd rather lose my job than take this vaccine? What does that tell you? That's data, okay? One person's story, maybe he's crazy, maybe he he experienced a one-off, who knows, right? Maybe he's crazy. But when you combine that with all the rest of this stuff, then you end up with Data And when you find people who are administering the drug, meaning people who are highly trained medical experts, clinicians, not not researchers, clinicians, when people see, I've got somebody here sick, they tell me to inject them with this, I do, they get worse and die. In comes the next person, they're sick, they tell me to inject them with this, they do, and they die. When this cycle goes on long enough, just common sense and, and personal observation, forget their medical training says, well, I seem to notice that when I inject people with this, they die. So what do they do? They can't not inject them. I mean, I suppose they could, and I suppose some of them did. But basically, it's a kind of a, you know, we're following orders kind of thing. And it's not the same way as a, as a SS prison guard, because the actual nursing staffs that are front line on all this are told by experts like Dr. Fauci that this is the only treatment available. They're not researchers. They're they're. they're they're frontline medical workers, so they're told that this is the best hope that these people have. So that's what they do. So, what the vaccine does is, it. I've mentioned this before. I was about two days from getting the the vaccine, and I have a friend, uh, who, is uh, the the brightest person I know, and and she, um, she. Didn't know I was about to get vaccinated. She said I got to talk to you about something, and, and I, I have a—I'd known her for a long time. I a high level of trust in her, in her level of intelligence, her, her medical background, her, her scientific background, and especially her integrity. And two days before I was going to go get it, I wasn't scheduled, but I knew I, oh, I should go get this done. She came in and started telling me about this. Said that this vaccine starts messing around with your DNA. I said, I said, Quartz, that's not a vaccines don't do that. She goes, It's because it's not a vaccine. So what this So what this uh, vaccine does is it uses messenger RNA, which is the stuff that helps encode DNA. And the messenger RNA tells your body to start manufacturing spike proteins, just the spike proteins. The spike proteins are the spiky shell that sits outside the virus. And these viruses, the COVID virus, for example, cannot get into human cells unless it's surrounded by one of these spiky shells. That's what gain-of-function research is. You have a virus that cannot infect in human, and if you encode that virus inside a spiky shell that has receptors that humans will, in, in fact, take, then you're taking a virus that couldn't hurt people, putting it into a delivery system that gets it into human cells, and then kablooey. So what the, what the RNA vaccine is doing is it's telling your body to manufacture the outside shell without the poisonous creamy middle. And the theory, granting them the very, very best of, of, of intentions, which I'm just doing hypothetically, the theory would be that your body recognizes these spike proteins as antigens, pathogens rather, and and says here's a foreign object that's got all these spiky things against it. Let's create antibodies to attack this thing. And therefore, the argument is that while your, while your body is learning how to attack this thing that has nothing in it, it is producing an immune response that means that the next time you're exposed to a virus with spike proteins, it will attack the virus. And that logically follows to the degree that it logically follows. That makes a kind of sense. That's not how immunity works. It's not how any other vaccine works. Every other vaccine in the history of the world, from the first smallpox vaccine that Jenner derived out of of, uh, cowpox, consists of taking the poisonous part weakening it or killing it, injecting it into your body, letting your body see it and recognize it. Now the body knows that this is something to be attacked. And when you get infected by the real thing, the body doesn't have to spend four or five days figuring out that this is an invader. It already knows it's ammoed up, it's got the target outlines, it's got the silhouettes, it's boom, goes and and kills it. But there was no COVID in the COVID vaccine. And when she told me that, I I just kind of, that, that doesn't make any sense. She says no. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Jodaba says that not all of them use the R- mRNA approach. J and J is more conventional. And I talked to another friend of mine who happens to be a lifelong microbiologist. These are the people who are telling me things, not my uncle, who's a guy who you know, who who uh, you know saw something out on a trail someplace sometime. The um, there is apparently a vaccine that's taking much longer. Why? much longer to get cleared that does in fact function as a vaccine should in other words it takes weakened covid and exposes the body to that and it's not causing you to manufacture the things that your body's supposed to be fighting so all of this is starting to, is starting to like lock into place in my head here And and the conclusions that you're left with are, I think it's the Novavax, yeah, 18943030 uh, says data for the Novavax has been hidden. That's because if it's, if it's the vaccine I'm thinking of and it sounds right, then, um, then that's a real vaccine, so no wonder we're not hearing anything about it. Uh, and Helio says uh, most of these doctors had to choose between losing their medical license or giving treatment and being totally immune from liability. it's hard not to see what most would choose the nice thing about that is it's easy to justify for yourself like I don't know I don't really like this but you know my administrator is telling me I have to do it or I lose my job and the, here's all the science and all the other things um, so, the very first thing, I'm talking April of 2020. Why well, cannot remember the name of this guy who was the New York doctor? Somebody just listed it. Uh, uh, Dr. You know, so, sorry. The guy in New York who was also uh, treating things. Um, so he said. Uh, the, the, the Russian, thank you, Zelenko. Zelenko said, if you, if you develop this thing, this is way before they're talking about allergic issues and stuff. Zelenko said, if you, he said, going on a respirator is the worst possible thing you could do because all it does is your body is fighting to clear this debris. There are trillions and trillions of dead viruses in your blood system. They have to go somewhere. And Zelenko was saying, if you go on a respirator, all it's doing is it's pushing that concrete into your into your uh, alveoli. It's 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 basically pushing this debris deeper and deeper and deeper into your lungs, and no wonder people are are, are dying. Um, so, all of this to say that if you look at the statistical data, it turns out that. We don't have a, a viral pandemic. We have a positive test result pandemic. The medication, not the, vi- not the vaccine, the medication used to treat this particular virus is the most expensive by far, five or six times more than the second most expensive, which is 800 bucks, and is at the bottom of the list of efficacy and way, way at the top of the list in terms of toxicity and, and side effects. This is the only drug that you're allowed to use essentially worldwide. World Health Organization has only authorized remdesivir for this. And furthermore, it's gone on to say there are no other drugs that have been proven to be effective against this. Which is just a flat-out lie. And it's just continuously a flat-out lie. So where does that leave you? You know? Where does that leave you? I mean, it leaves you with a conclusion that is so incredible that I, to this day, even though I completely believe it now, I still, to this day, have a difficult time actually coming out and saying it. But, I personally think, personally think that this is a test run. What the doctor in South Africa said was, if it turns out that I'm right, and he is because he's got the data and he, treated 10,000 patients then he's saying that the three different waves of this of this virus were different the spike proteins were different that meant that it attached to different receptors the first wave attached to pulmonary receptors it's something in the in the human lungs that it was able to bind to the second one attached to the ga, uh, gastrointestinal system third one attached to the nervous system and he said that since those things are different they're applying to different races he said if you've got a he said, if you've got a, this is his direct quote, he says, if you've got a, a, a virus that makes three different appearances and has mutated so much that, the, that each appearance infects a specific ethnicity, not exclusively, but predominantly, he says, it's not just lab-created, it's a bioweapon. And if this is true, then the data they're collecting, if if all of this stuff is true, then what they put inside the spike protein The COVID-19 thing is is an extraordinarily, compared to worst-case scenarios, an extremely um, benign virus, 99.9-something percent survival rate for the virus, right? But they are getting tons and tons and tons of data, and they're not just getting data in terms of who's getting sick and who's not. They're also getting much more important data, and that data is what will people put up with. That's the data. What will people put up with? How many people will line up with their... Sleeves rolled up to get a shot because somebody in a white coat tells them to. How many? That's what they want to know. Um, so, I don't know what other conclusion you can draw when you, when you try. And I try to do this because, again, what is it, Hanson's razor? Never attribute to malice what can be explained by stupidity. The reason I have a problem with virtually all conspiracy theories is the level of cooperation required to pull this off. If you want to talk about 9-11, then you have to basically say that every single person driving past the Pentagon when the missile hit that wasn't really an airplane, they were in on it too. No, it's over. But, Hanlon, but now you're talking about A very um to say it's widespread. But see the thing about this is again, I'm I just want to be correct. I don't wanna it's not a question of my career or anything, it's not a question of being banned from YouTube, it's not any of that. I don't want to give people an argument that is incorrect. And when I did the the afterburner on the atomic bombs. Steve did a show called uh, Personal Patriotism for right angle. He said, what's the most patriotic thing you've ever done I said I think probably the most patriotic thing I've ever done was I produced a video called the true story of the atomic bombs which I think was of all the work I've done a historical document uh, once you see that video there is no case to be made for not dropping the bomb as far as I'm concerned it's just it's a it's an, uh, an annihilation blow to this idea that um, oh, we shouldn't have dropped the bomb they were ready to surrender because it's not me stating opinions, I'm quoting I'm quoting Japanese admirals, I'm quoting the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor, I'm quoting the guy who was in charge of the suicide uh, attacks, saying that there's 30 million Japanese who are ready to defend uh, against the Americans with bamboo spear. Those are the people I'm, I'm, I'm quoting. That was an astonishingly well-researched piece of work, if I do say so myself, and I'm going to do another one of these, but I need to have I need to get this right. So what other conclusion can you come to? You got Bill Gates years before this pandemic saying that the world population is an issue and that, and that we need to do something to reduce the population. And then the next thing you know, he's Mr. Vaccine. Now he's brought out, I just saw him on testimony on day four started with Bill Gates, it's 2022, or just very recently, maybe late 2021. And he's on a giant panel in some multinational thing in like Munich or something like this, dark room. And 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 basically, he sa- somebody says, okay, so we're two years into this, uh, Mr. Gates, you're an expert on this, are you? Really, Bill, are you? Because I'm thinking the guy who's the expert on this is the guy who's treating the patients. That's what I'm thinking personally, but okay. You're an expert on this, uh, Mr. Gates. How did we do? Well, we didn't do this and we didn't do this, but we did do this and we had the vaccine early and it took us a year and you know, 19 months or whatever and we should make that early. should be able to have a vaccine out there in six months. On and 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 on. He did admit that Omicron was essentially a vaccine because the first case of vaccination was you gave somebody cowpox because pretty maids all in a row, right? That nursery rhyme, where did that come from? Well, pretty maids all in a row, this is what Jenner got Jenner thinking for the, the first vaccination, was based on a nursery rhyme. Pretty maids all in a row, what does that mean? Well, it means that milkmaids were pretty because, unique among the, the European population at the time, especially in England, they were the only ones that didn't get smallpox. And smallpox disfigures your face, just totally disfigures your face. The pretty maids were the ones that didn't get smallpox. And Jenner asked himself, why did milk maids not get smallpox? This is how it worked. This is how it happened. Why? And he was smart enough to figure out it's they didn't get smallpox because they got cowpox. They got cowpox, which is like chickenpox. You get it, you get bumps all over, and then it goes away and you're fine. And he said... The data, the evidence, see, this is what science actually is. It's not some freaking authority who says something. This is how science works. Here's a guy, he's a doctor, and he's got a scientific mind. He says, okay, all these people are getting smallpox except for this group. What is it about this group that is protecting them from smallpox? Well, they all got cowpox. So somehow there's got to be a relationship between these two things, right? And then he looks at what a smallpox case looks like. He looks at what a cowpox case looks like. And he says they're essentially the same thing, but this one is much less severe. So... If it turns out that these milkmaids are not getting smallpox because they're getting cowpox and there's something in cowpox that's protecting them from smallpox, so, so, does he get a lab and sequence the DNA? No, he doesn't do that. No, he's not that sophisticated. He's much smarter than that. He's, he has to work in the dark. Has never been done before. So what he does is he takes a knife, a knife. And he takes a woman with small with cowpox. He takes a pretty maid with cowpox. And he basically sticks this knife into one of these pus-filled little boil things, and he takes this infected stuff, and he takes the knife and goes and cuts a little hole in somebody else's arm and sticks that that pus in there. I hate to make it so so uh, true, but that's what actually happened. So guess what? This person then immediately develops cowpox, right? And then they never get smallpox. And ta-da, now. Billions and billions of lives are saved, billions of lives, right? So I'm not anti-vax. I'm the most pro-vaccine guy I know. The reason I hate this thing is because it's not a vaccine. It's not. It's not a vaccine. If it was a vaccine, it would take it would take the the viral agent inside the, um, the the spike protein, and it would and it would come up. It would either kill that or weaken it. Inject it into your body. You would get it and fight it. It would be a minor deal, and then you got it and boom then you don't get the then you don't get the rest of it. That's how vaccines work. Now, to some degree, I did not know when I was a kid, I got vaccinated. When my mom was a kid, she I want to say it was tuberculosis. There's a there's a little window. Most of these people are dead now, virtually all of them. But there's a window in my parents' generation, my dad and my mom, little window of people that for a certain period of time got a certain vaccine in the arm that left two little dime-sized scars on their arm for the rest of their lives. I want to say they were tuberculosis vaccines, but I'm not sure. Two injections right here in the left arm, and they both left lifelong small little circles. Aesop says I got that, and Ladyhawk too. It was a smallpox vaccine? Okay, so whatever it did, it produced some kind of local response that has since been, um, a lot of people say they got that. On your right arm? might have been on the right arm. In any event that was a reaction to the vaccine and then the vaccine got more sophisticated doesn't have that anymore might have been polio i don't know what it was but i just know that my parents generation has it so i needless to say got vaccinated but i got vaccinated against things like smallpox and tuberculosis chickenpox i just got i just got chickenpox i remember chickenpox very well and i recovered from chickenpox shingles apparently is when, you're, is when your immune system is so, is so reduced, mostly due to stress, that the chicken pox, which your body has never actually expelled, it's simply suppressed. My understanding is that shingles are when the immune system weakens enough so that the chicken pox that's been in your cells your entire life and just not even worried, it just suddenly starts to flare up a little bit. Only a dime-sized scar. I'm surprised at how many people actually have this. Um, so all of this is, has saved billions and billions of lives billions and billions of lives but this thing is not one of those yeah pink sugar cubes people are saying it's so interesting to me I must have just missed it Um, in any event um, now I'm trying to be fair here when I was a kid I got vaccinated occasionally meaning every year or two for certain things my understanding with the people that have problems with modern vaccines is apparently now you give a kid a vaccine and it's got 30 or 60 different elements that you're trying to vaccinate against. That could cause problems. I don't know. I was born in 59. In any of it, oh, it's John Foster, Fuster, that recognized the connection between cowpox and smallpox. Learn something every day. So I guess Jenner was was working on his work then. That's interesting to know. That's See, I'm smarter now. Than Thank you. Um, so, I know I'm going to write that down, Don Fuster, because I need to know this. I can't get this wrong. I've got to get this right. Uh, so, Jenner was a student under Fuster. Great to know. See, now the argument gets stronger. If I'd said what I'd said before, probably nobody but you would have caught it, but now I can say this. It's like, well, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. I I know what I'm talking about because the people who I talk to, like you find people, know what you're talking about. So where, since we're on Rumble now, and I can relax, exclusively Rumble now, there are so many... Not only illogical but counter logical things happening with this pandemic. For example, nobody's considering natural immunity. There's no argument, though the, scientifically there's no argument, they're certainly trying to make the case in the media. If you have COVID and recover from it, your immunity is much better than it is from a vaccine. And this is true for every, as I understand it, this is true for every infectious disease, that people who survived the disease, actual disease, somebody who survives smallpox, immunity against smallpox is stronger than it would be if they'd gotten the, the cowpox. But nowhere in this pandemic has there ever been a recognition of natural immunity. In other words, here in Los Angeles, I think they've just, I know today, today as we record this Friday, the 4th of March, today, um, uh they've lifted the mass mandates on buildings i assume that means they've listed the vaccine passport mandates in la county but i don't know that for a fact i do know that where i live right now will be the last place on earth to release all of these restrictions because they love them so much smallpox no longer exists in the world vaccines have been so effective that smallpox has been eliminated from the planet smallpox and this worries me especially after the last two years, smallpox exists as laboratory samples in highly, highly secure gene research labs, although I no longer believe in that anyway. But smallpox was eliminated, it's gone. And millions of people died of smallpox, gone. This is why, by the way, parenthetically, when Corona came along, and people are wailing and screaming and and gnashing of teeth and rending of of cloth i my reaction was okay so now there's a new way for us to die no question about that how many ways of dying did we eliminate yellow fever smallpox plague polio how many did we eliminate scores of them Billions of lives saved and some new thing comes to the table and we're going to, and, and especially something that's mild, we're going to panic? What gives us the right to think we go through life without getting sick? Who do we think we are? So, all of this stuff, any one of these things individually is, is interesting but not proof. But when you step back and you realize that hydroxychloroquine has not only been taken off the market, it's not available. Why is that? It had been used to treat any number of diseases for a hundred years. It costs nothing and has no negative side effects. Why is it unavailable now? When you look at what they did to Donald Trump for mentioning hydroxychloroquine and, and basically trying to prove that the man's an idiot when in fact he's the only person who's actually listening to actual real science. Gone. Any mention of it, gone. Reason we're having this conversation now is because if I have this conversation on YouTube, gone. Why? If this stuff is false, why? Why? Why this list of, of, uh, of efficacy against the virus that is not a vaccine, it's a medicinal treatment with drugs, why is it that the number one thing has like a 96, 97% efficacy rate, costs a dollar, and number 19 has a 2% efficacy rate, costs $3,700, has by far the highest toxicity, and number 19 is the only drug that people are allowed to, to, um, to administer, and furthermore, it's the only drug that, admi- that insurance policies will pay hospitals back for. Why? This stuff is fundamental evidence because it, now you're not dealing with testimony, you're not dealing with gene sequences, you're dealing with common sense And common sense is grossly underestimated. I don't know what conclusion you can come up with, and I'm trying because of Hanlon's razor, because I believe in Occam's razor and Hanlon's razor. I shave twice a day. Uh, I think these two things are important because they are encapsulated common sense. And common sense is the trial and error observation of how the world actually works in practice, not in theory, and anybody, anybody, can look at things in a common sense way and draw reasonable conclusions. For example, I was given this example when I was told about how heuristics works. When you're a kid, most people do, I did, you will touch something very hot because you're a kid. Parents tell you not to touch it, but you do anyway. Or maybe you just got careless. When I was in third grade in Bermuda, I was taking uh, In third grade, I was taking physics, chemistry, biology, history. I wasn't taking science. I was taking physics, chemistry, and biology. History, geography, wood shop, metal shop, Spanish, English, physical education, Feel like i'm missing one or two all at the same time and when i was taking metal shop hold on now gang third fourth graders were taking pieces of iron and heating them up to be red hot i did this myself all of us did we would take we we would make copper ashtrays by taking a disc of copper and making it red hot and then having a like a dome-shaped kind of a, of a, what do you call it? I don't know, a mold, it's not even a mold. It's just like a like a dome-shaped piece of iron or steel. We take this red-hot copper, and ding, 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 ting, we bend it around this thing, ding, 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 ding. We just beat the living daylights out of this thing, get it as smooth as we can, and we ply it off, and there it is, there's an ashtray, congratulations. We also did fundamental, iron work which meant that I would take a piece of iron I'm I'm third grade now I'm supervised but again the idea that this would happen today, inconceivable piece of iron about you know this long where are we come on come on okay so you're the cop there we go this long something like that and we would take a pair of tongs and we'd stick it in this furnace until it was red hot and then we would take it and we they had these curved metal things and we would put the red hot iron in there and bend it right and let it cool down and then it would harden and then we'd heat the other end which was straight and we'd put it in this other thing and bend it this when we get this kind of S-shaped thing and I forget the hell what we were making but nevertheless there it was um, so we're using furnaces to get iron red hot so that we could make iron things in metal shop okay so I'm done this, and I've got the thing there, and I, and and everybody's warning me, and everybody's careful. It's not like we're unsupervised, and so on. And and I've got this thing down, and I go and I do something else. I'm not thinking, and I see this thing on the table. I know I need to get this thing going, so I reach down and pick it up. And it had just that second gone from being red hot to being just damn hot. And I picked it up in the palm of my right hand, and that is the the worst I've ever been burned in my life. And I don't do that anymore. That actually got through to me. I actually created an amygdala response. That's another story. So the idea of heuristics is if I touch something red hot and burn the living hell out of myself once, I don't have to keep touching red hot things in order to learn not to touch red hot things. Once you burn yourself on something that's red hot, you learn, don't do that again. And that's a heuristic. You build on this evidence and these and these lessons and you don't have to keep learning this every time because if you did we wouldn't get anywhere if we had to learn every single thing every single time we'd be morons we'd be like progressives we learn something and then we build on that we'd have to go back and learn this again so did I smell it no I did not smell it I, but I have heard people say it smells like you know bacon or, or pork chops or something like that. so what I'm trying to say here is there are some things that are self-evident, and, and common sense is grossly, grossly devalued, and the people that devalue common sense most are stupid people who are trying to appear smart because they want to stand out from the crowd. The idea that you tell a person who wants to be considered intellectual is just common sense, Common sense that's for the common people. What do they know? They know everything, that's what they know. That's why I fear and hate intellectuals running the show because their track record is so abysmal. There is something, this is the most astonishing thing I've, I've ever learned in terms of how the world works. I, you would think I talk about it every week, But this is the most astonishing thing I've learned, certainly in terms of politics. The most important thing I've learned about politics is a result of something that happened in either the late 18th century or the very early 19th century. The reason I have my worldview that I have about politics and the reason I despise and distrust Dr. Fauci is because I learned out the best way to figure out how much an ox weighs. I need to do a much deeper dive into the mathematics of this. And I've talked about it probably twice before. Somewhere around the turn of the last century, there was a fair, just a public fair, in, in a in a British, I want to say it was like a coastal resort town. And it was a grand old time, and everybody was there for the weekend, and da, 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 bands and everything, and they're doing all their thing, right? And one of the prizes was an ox which is not the kind of prize you often see these days but at the time oxen were used to pull plows and they were used to carry carts drag carts around and eat them and all of this stuff so oxen were useful and they were common in other words it was a car they're giving away a free car right because that's what it was it was the transportation system of the time and hooray we're going to have a raffle and you pay your tuppence or halfpence, halfpenny, whatever, and you'd pay this and you'd get a chance, you'd write down the bet and the, 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 the car, the ox, was awarded to the person who most closely got the weight of the ox. So it's kind of like how many jelly beans are in that jar kind of thing, okay? So you've got thousands of people now. Who are paying some minor cost because the ox is actually extremely valuable and if you didn't want the ox you could sell it and make a, a significant win it's a it's a big old raffle so now this is really 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 important you've got people who are paying money to participate that means they have skin in the game right and here's what a guy found, and I need to get deeper in this because I can't just say a guy. I need to know what this guy's name is. But basically, here's what happened. They took a look, and it turned out that whoever got... Some person got closest to the weight but didn't land exactly on the weight. He was just the closest one, and he won the ox. But here's what they found. A guy who was interested in this found that the the only 100% accurate answer to what the ox actually weighed was the average of every single vote included. That was the only one that was on target. In other words, nobody got it right, but everybody together got it right. You would think, you would think that the person who would get this right would be either a person who uh, was a livestock person who dealt with oxen and sold them, presumably by the pound, or a butcher, somebody like that. You would think that an expert would be able to look at that ox and give you the correct weight, but that's not what happened. What happened was the only way to get the correct weight, the actually correct weight, was to take every single person's opinion and average it. And that meant the lunatics who said something, I think it weighs 100 pounds. you know. And the other guy said I think it weighs ten thousand pounds. You're going to have outliers, but those had to be factored into. You didn't get to exclude anything. What they found was, does anyone <laughs> Ian Little says did anyone consider just asking the ox? Remind me to answer. There's a great great story about that. What they found was what one guy found was was that the only thing that was correct was the average of everybody's guesses. In other words, people are bringing all of their unique experience into this competition, and injecting their own individual opinions, not one of which was correct, but taken together was the only actual correct answer. Once I heard that, I, it just blew my mind, and apparently this thing has been repeated again and again and again with a very important proviso, a critically important proviso, and that is this. The opinions have to be uncontaminated. And what that means is, in order for this effect to take place, the people whose opinions are being rendered cannot be influenced by any outside source. In other words, this thing would never have worked if somebody in the middle of that crowd had said, Look, I'm a butcher, and I'm telling you, that ox weighs 825 pounds. If that had happened, then everybody else would have said, well, he's a butcher, he's an expert. So I'm going to put in a number that's close to 825 pounds. That skews people's ability to answer the question on their own. It's essentially bowing down to an expert. It's following the scientist rather than following the science, and then all all of the usefulness of this goes away. But if you don't contaminate... If you don't contaminate the process by having somebody saying i'm an expert and i know and therefore well he's an expert so how am i why am i going to argue with the butcher i think it weighs 300 pounds the butcher says it's 825 pounds he's a butcher i put down 830 pounds if you can take that out of there then what you find is okay here we go helio 1776 i love i love this show i love doing the grass for lunch because there's so much i learned from it the crowd is so damn smart Helio 1776 says, at a 1906 county fair in Plymouth, it was Plymouth, a resort town on the coast, 800 people participated in a contest to estimate the weight of a slaughtered and dressed ox. So I guess the ox wasn't standing there. Statistician Francis Galton observed that the, and it wasn't an average, it was medium, that the median guess of 2,007 pounds was accurate within 1% of the true weight of 11,098 pounds. Hang on a second while I do a screen grab of that. got it thank you helios okay so i was wrong in some details and get it exactly the right way but nevertheless the story essentially is is the way it is the wisdom of crowds another screen grab for me here actually that one's a link The Wisdom of Crowns by James. Well, so guess I'm going to be buying that. Okay. Yeah, the ox is like. Does this estimate make me look fat? Uh, okay. So what does that tell you? It tells me that the guy that knows. It tells me that the guy that runs the gas station knows more about running a gas station. Than a guy sitting in a in a in a bureaucrat office in Washington. That's what it tells me. And when I heard that Indian doctor in South Africa explaining the process, I thought to myself: Number one, I want that guy to be my doctor. Number two, I want that guy to be in charge of all of the stuff. If somebody has to be in charge in the world, I want this guy. But then again, if somebody has to be in charge of the world, eventually he'll be corrupted too. That's just how it works. Um, but. But this is prima facie evidence. Hear what I said there, I just used a big word. That that common sense is better than expert opinion. And by better I mean more accurate. And therefore, if you're an intelligent person, you want the correct result. If you're a genuine, if you're an intelligent person rather than an intellectual who's somebody who's trying to look intelligent, if you're actually using real intelligence, you want a correct result. And if it turns out that the data shows that the correct result can be determined by a large number of people who have no special intelligence or special education on this subject. That's the most accurate way to get the result. Then an intelligent person will will come to the conclusion that common sense is actually more accurate than the opinion of experts. That's what intelligence will lead you to. Intellectualism will lead you in the exact opposite. Position. So, Dave Big Booty said, "Wouldn't it be the average of the crowd and the experts?" Yes, there are experts in the crowd. That's of course the experts in the crowd. In fact, most of the people probably had a pretty good idea, in in rough terms, of what the ox actually weighed. So the median means you're you're getting pretty whatever the, the twelve hundred pounds, right, something like that. So most people figured that this ox probably weighs around 1,000 pounds, 50, whatever. Most people were fairly close to begin with. Nobody you, – you, you will have outliers, but since they had to pay for the ticket, you don't get people just going, oh, wait, the ox weighs a million pounds. You've got – it's not average. It's medium. Median. I keep saying medium. Median. So, so people have – They've got skin in the game. They put money into this. They want, and plus they want to win, right? This is a valuable item. So most all of your lunatics are being are being siphoned out of this by the fact that you have to pay to participate. And number two, you want to win. You want to get it right. So those things are excluding the lunatic um, uh, expressions. Most people have a pretty good idea. If if they were auctioning off an SUV, right? If they were auctioning off a stock suv my initial if i had to guess the price of a stock suv i'd i'd say twenty-seven thousand dollars. now i might be wrong but it's going to be in that general neighborhood so that's at, at work too um now bart's treasure see this is now now we're dealing with people with actual intelligence he says it would look like a bell curve experts would probably be mostly centered at the top of the bell curve poorer guessers on the end yes all this is true right? Here's the, here's the response. It weighs five pounds. It weighs a million pounds. Here the, most of the people are coming in around 1,200 pounds, and experts will probably be populating that area more than, than regular people, but those people are still off. You need, you need the rest of the, of the bell curve. You need the rest of the deviations to focus in on the precisely correct answer. So... Been a while since I priced the SCBs. What is it, more like 37, 39, 40? I don't know. I know that that's what they were a couple years ago, but that's before the chip shortage, and they've gone up crazy since then. Um, so what I get out of this is that guys like Bill Gates, Dr. Fauci, Jeff Bezos, Zuckerberg, all these guys have never, ever tried to determine the weight of an ox and never had their livelihood depend on it, because if they did, they would would realize that their theory of everything is wrong. Their theory of everything is that a small number of people who are very intelligent, and there's no question that they are, can provide a better answer than large numbers of people without any specific training, and they're wrong. They're wrong. They're not misinformed. They're not of a different opinion. They're wrong about that one, and their egos and their God complexes are so overwhelming that they cannot realize that they're wrong and they're ready to do anything in order to have their fantasy fulfillments of Godhood be confirmed. Yeah, Helios 1776. Never underestimate the ability of intelligent people have to delude themselves. Correct. The more intelligent you are, the more you can justify or rationalize anything, right? And this is why Steve sorry, Island just said uh, they're trying to force a model, right? There are people out there, we see this all the time, there are people out there, climate scientists, who are convinced that if the model and the atmosphere have different results, then the atmosphere is wrong. That's the level of arrogance that you have to have. Simple people aren't sophisticated enough to, to construct that kind of, of, of false reality. That's why they're right so many times. And that's not to say that experts don't have their place. If I have a problem, like um, a brain tumor, let's say, I'm going to want somebody who's done this kind of thing before. But what we're seeing is, with the, with the pandemic that that mechanism has been totally dismantled in other words if we were going to treat this rationally what we would do is we would let every physician out there diagnose this thing and come up with their own personal treatment protocols and then we would look at who's successful and who's not and the ones that were successful are the ones that we would pursue. And we would start to focus down on this and the results would be improving. And then somebody would come up with some weird addition, he says, you know, if you throw in purple Flintstones, the number actually goes up and you're gonna find out that's true. Let's add some purple Flintstones. Hey, what do you know? Do the pink ones? No, the pink ones don't make any difference. The purple ones do, but but it's the same vitamin. It's just different food coloring. Well, then there's something in the food coloring, right? There you go. And and then you've, then you've actually got a solution. And when you think about the number of people that have died as a result of this drug that is extremely expensive and extremely bad at what it does and has all these social effects and and physical effects, and you see all of this stuff, you are left with no other conclusion that this entire thing is manufactured in order to sell remdesivir and vaccinations. Right? To sell them. And here's the thing that is the most difficult and at the same time also provides us with the most hope because it's strange to me it's strange to me that the people who are most anti-vax sorry the most people the people who are most anti-anti-vax the people who have the the hatred and the rage towards people who say there's something wrong with this vaccine those people are the ones who traditionally are left-wingers who are the most suspicious of big business. And this doesn't make any sense to me, but it does. Well, it makes sense to me because I understand the psychology of it, but at least to some level, but it's also the key It's also the key to changing minds, because the people who are the ones who are saying, we follow the science, we listen to the science, and Dr. Fauci says we should get a shot, so we got a shot. He said we should get two shots, so we got two. He said we should get three shots, so we got three, and we think we're probably gonna need four, so I'm gonna be the first in line to get the fourth shot, because I'm a midwit who basically wants to look smart, and I follow the science, and Dr. Fauci says he's a scientist, and everybody says he's a scientist, so therefore, there I go. And all those knuckle-dragging conservative idiots out there are anti-science, right? Okay, that's where we are right now, that's where we are. But the way to reach those people is to say to them, is to appeal to their pre-existing mindset, which strangely enough turns out to be true. What you basically, the way you win those people over is say, just for a second, stop and think that you have just made the case for getting four shots from Pfizer and each time you get a shot, Pfizer gets $3,000 why are you doing Pfizer's bidding you don't see the potential that maybe somewhere in here there could be capitalism gone wrong here you don't see that it's possible that this corporation has set this whole thing up so that you would be forced to buy their product this is why I am so happy with that Cerberus episode and why it I don't know why it did it just maybe it was badly named or I don't know but what happened was these two natural enemies, big business and big government, got together and just said, we're not only going to stop you, not going to stop you, big government says, we're not only going to keep your product, we're not only not going to stop you bringing the product to market, we're going to make people buy your product and require them to buy your product by law. Ta-da. So when you look at this, you realize, okay, all of these pieces individually, you don't want to, go to court on those. When you take them together, it's, it's irresistible. When you have legislation that says that, recently introduced legislation, fairly recently, says that if a product is called a vaccine, if it's defined as a vaccine, the pharmacological company that produces that is not legally liable if it gets an emergency authorization. The argument being that, well, we've got people dying by droves here, so let's take a risk on this thing. That's a reasonable argument. But if it turns out that the people dying by droves are actually, we're actually responding to a number of PCR tests that are coming in positive by droves, then you start to question whether or not you can get the emergency authorization which frees them from legal liability. One other thing they need to have the legal one of the other things they need to have the emergency authorization is they have to show that there are no other treatments. In other words, to authorize the emergency use of this vaccine, which frees them from legal liability, you have to be able to show, this is still some strange remnant of of law and common sense, you have to show that, that there are no other treatments. In other words, people are dying, there's nothing else we can do about it, therefore we have to go with this. So now you have to take hydroxychloroquine off the market. You have to take any other viral antivirals off the market. You have to show that they don't work, not just that they're not as effective as the vaccine, but that they're useless because if they're not useless, if they work, then there's no need for this emergency authorization for the vaccine, which means that they don't get the legal uh, protection of it, and that means that they can't just sell all of it, and so on. So all of this stuff happens. And then things that seem trivial are not trivial. One of the things that raised the biggest red flags for me was when the, it was either CDC or FDA. I don't, I honestly don't remember which, but it was a government agency. I think it was CDC. When they changed the definition of a vaccine, they didn't announce that in the press. They didn't say, CDC has updated the definition of, no, they did this very quietly. But essentially, and I have access to the actual wording, I don't have it in front of me now, but basically the previous definition of a vaccine was, was FDA, thanks. The previous definition of a vaccine was was a medication that provided immunity. And up until the present time, that's what a vaccine did. When you got vaccinated, you were immune. That was the definition. Now the definition has been changed. Now the definition is a vaccine is a serum that produces an immune response. That is so much lower bar to clear that I can now use my rhetorical powers and say if I get a splinter in my finger, that's going to produce an immune response too, right? If I get a splinter in my finger, that area is going to become inflamed. And my immune system will go and attack this foreign body and it will create pus and all the rest of it. Does that mean that the splinter is a vaccine and therefore free of legal liability? No. But that's what the law now says. Now, now, the legal definition of what a vaccine is, has been lowered so much that this actual, thing that they're injecting into people qualifies as a vaccine and everybody else is um is is free they're 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 when i say free they can do whatever they want to so basically uh somebody just sent me something good trial error in the god complex fantastic i'll look at this uh, probably when i'm done with this it's a ted talk there's some very interesting stuff in ted talks uh but there's an awful lot of stuff that ted's not talking about i've noticed uh, okay, so the masks. Uh, 12 Temple says, for me, the mask mandates raised a red flag. Yes. Here's the biggest of all of the societal things I see out there, right? Of, when I'm talking about societal things now, now I'm talking about the Ox Wayne competition with billions of votes. Certainly in the United States with 300 million votes. The larger the sample, the more accurate it's going to be the people who have such hatred of the ones who aren't vaccinated have no logical, rational ground to stand on, the fact that I can be opposed to somebody who doesn't want to be vaccinated means that I don't understand how a vaccine works. Or this isn't a real vaccine. It's both. In other words, if there is yellow fever out there or plague or whatever or ebola right let's say ebola because that's nice and juicy all of a sudden we look out into the streets and people are bleeding out of their eyes and going down and just turning into puddles of blood okay you've got my full attention now along comes an effective ebola vaccine that provides immunity right and I get vaccinated, and I get my family vaccinated. Now there are some people out there, lunatics, let's say, who are saying, no, 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 there's, the, the Ebola vaccine isn't working. I don't care what they say, because I am immune to Ebola now, right? If they don't want to get vaccinated, then that's their problem, they're going to die, but I don't really have the emotional response because I'm protected. So if I'm protected, why do I have to smash these people down? I don't have to smash them down. I I feel sorry for them, but I don't hate them, and I don't need to force them to do something. If you'd rather die of Ebola, that's your business. But the reaction has been so virulent against people saying got some questions about this that it is not. If this vaccine was a real vaccine and doing what it was supposed to do, people should be of an emotional foundation. Should be, well, I'm protected. My family's protected. It doesn't matter how many unvaccinated people there are out there. It doesn't matter if everybody out there is unvaccinated. If I'm vaccinated and the vaccine works and the rest of the world doesn't want to be vaccinated, then that's not my problem because I'm protected. You see people out there saying, I hope that these people who are not vaccinated or against this COVID vaccine, I hope they die. I hope they get cancer and die. What's driving that? What's When you ask them what's driving that, they'll say they're making other people sick. How can they be making other people sick if they're unvaccinated? If you're vaccinated, you're protected, right? And if everybody is vaccinated, or most everybody is vaccinated, then, then, then they have no effect on you. If you're saying that you hate this person because they're unvaccinated, what difference does it make to you? Because you're protected, right? That's an interesting statement. Again, sorry about the pale green here. Edward Smith, 01. Those people have been self-hazed. No one hazes as viciously as someone who has been hazed, yes. And I think Terrason is really on it. I, I did something on this too called coerced cowardice. Uh, they're jealous of people who are less afraid than they are. That's it. And since we're on a real epic thing and haven't gotten any questions, and we won't. Now, get your, get your uh, shot glasses out. Now we come back to RK. Right, now we come back to RK. It's been a long time since I talked about RK. Many of the people watching this will not have been here through the entire year that I talked about nothing else other than RK, which is why it's a drinking game. But what the pandemic has done is it's shown the difference between people who are capable of assessing their own risk and are confident in their ability to assess assess risk. Those are K-type people like wolves. They have a strategy for survival, genetically selected strategy for survival, that consists of quality, meaning that a long training period for their young, because a K-selected survival strategy is a survival strategy of, of, you can almost say, environmental mastery. K-species have to be good at it. Wolves have to be good at being wolves and they have to spend a lot of time raising wolves and have to have all of these interpersonal connections because there's not much food around and if you're not a good wolf, you'll die. R, our reproductive-based strategy for uh, for survival and people who are attracted to an R-based psychology are people who believe in essentially mass reaction to things there's endless supply of food meaning there's an endless supply of health meaning that that the, the people who are who are doing the somebody else has got this under control i'm just going to go back to eating clover right it's it's a long 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 story but that's basically how it works what i'm what i'm what i'm determining and what i'm seeing after 2 years is that the people who are resistant to this enormous lie are the ones who are K-type personalities who accept responsibility for their own lives. And I can turn this into the simplest way to explain this is my personal reaction, my personal emotional reaction to this. here's a new virus. Uh-oh. I saw all these movies, not to mention plenty of zombie apocalypse movies, and this is a genuine fear. I read The Hot Zone. I know what Ebola does to people. I know what, what is capable of coming into the world, and especially of how fast it can spread through modern transportation and, and our interconnected global society. So when I first heard that there was a new virus out there that people were dropping dead from, it got my full attention. Yeah, Andromeda Strain, exactly, David, that movie scared them. The original Andromeda Strain actually holds up very, very, very well. Um, Okay, so now it's out there. Months go by, people talking about it. It's getting more and more on the consciousness, Democrats are saying, no, 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 don't let this, don't let this um, uh, virus bother. you go on to Chinatown, and have a good time. Okay? I remember this as clear as day. The first recorded fatality from COVID-19 has been recorded in the United States. Okay, I want to know about that person. I don't remember the details, but it was something along the lines of a 63 year old person who's had something like emphysine something like this, right? In other words, I remember hearing about the first fatality in the United States from COVID, looking at the particulars of that case and realizing that this person, obviously, um, I'm, I'm not trying to, I just have to say this because of the world of, of, of things being taken out of context. Needless to say, that person has my sympathy, and I'm not talking about them as an individual. I'm talking about them as data point, and that doesn't mean to reduce their humanity. Now that's out of the way. Um, In other words, this person was a vulnerable person. And as we start getting the data who's actually dying, what I'm seeing is is that the people who are dying, all of them have some major comorbidity, something that has predisposed them to being at risk for this. This is the very, very early days. And then as as the data started to come in, I started looking for how many fully healthy people are dying from this and i couldn't find anybody at all okay now as a person who, who who likes to think for himself i'm looking at this with a sense of relief personal relief i had two family members who were at risk and i'm concerned about them but i'm also looking at how many health be, look, look, let's, not, let's not mince words right I and mean, let's just cut to the chase here how many 61 year old healthy males are dying of this none okay this is how i approach this pandemic i don't apologize for it because that's a rational response here comes a new disease how many people exactly like me are dying from this none i'm relieved to hear that now there are people that I know and love who are dying from this, similar to the people that are dying from this. Okay. So that's how I calibrated my response. And once I realized, once enough data was coming in to say that in my, in my age group, including the comorbidities, the survival rate's 99.93%, I basically told Natasha a year ago. Oh, who am I kidding? Two years ago. Just a few few days short of two years ago. Once this thing started getting out and they were talking about lockdowns, I said to her verbatim, quote, I said, honey, to be perfectly honest with you, there's no way to stop this thing. I want to go down to LAX and start licking doorknobs. I just want to get it and get it over with because sooner or later, I'm going to have to face this. And if it turns out I'm one of those 0.2 percent that 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 goes, then okay, okay, then we know. But I just don't want to constantly be living in fear of this thing. Let's get it over with. It turns out we, we, we evaded COVID for 18 months, maybe a little more. Then we got it, and it was miserable. I don't know how to compare it to a bad case of the flu, because I've never had the bad flu. I had a flu that came from Africa uh, that <laughs> pretty much wiped me out for 30 hours. But I'd never been sick, real sick for a long time. I had nothing to compare it to. It wasn't any fun at all, and I caught the version that that gave me a sore throat and also did some neurological damage because I was totally fatigued. Couldn't carry, like carrying a couple of plastic bags of groceries from the trunk of my car to my front door of my house, which is a short distance. That was like having finished a big workout in the gym, back when I used to work out in the gym. Um, And I was... I and I remember after we recovered from being sick that I felt well enough to drive to work but when I was driving to work I was I was driving like a like a a a 90 year old woman I'm in my Camaro in the right lane and I'm doing 25 26 miles an hour in a 40 mile an hour zone and I'm saying why am I doing this and I'm doing this because I realize that 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 I am not picking up signals I'm not I don't have the situational awareness I used to have when I was driving just just subconsciously, I slowed down because I could feel that I was fuzzy, that it was like being drunk or worse. I remember thinking, I don't want to change lanes now because I'm not 100% sure that, I'm, that there's not a car in my lane. I never used to think about that. I used to do a, a mirror check, head check, nothing in the blind spot, go. But I was aware that my mental capacity was slow, slow, slow. And that part of me that has survived a thousand hours of flying experimental airplanes said to me slow down and don't do anything stupid so I didn't and I can't tell you when the when the fatigue disappeared because it because it happened very slowly but it's essentially gone now Uh, oh boy Um, beef beef fire says he's there now it sucks i am with your uh brother or sister as the case may be um it's i think in some levels the post-sick confusion and fatigue was more disheartening than the actual i'm so sick i can't move thing um but hang in there pal because it will get better. And and believe it or not, it's getting better now while you're sitting here watching the show. Not because of the show, but because three hours have passed. And and slowly, 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 your body's clearing out all this junk. Um, uh, Rick, Rick G. in NY, I'm guessing, uh, said, It lasted a week for me, scared me to death. You know, it's funny. Uh, I think probably... Um, I mean, I'm having a good time, so I'll keep going for a little while, but I'll tell you something, uh, Rick. Um, I thought about this a lot. When we when I was at my sickest, and I and I had a temperature of 102 for about nine, eight or nine days, and in there, towards the end of that, it was 104 for four days. Um, and eventually, I got so sick that I laid down in the backseat of a car, I've talked about this before, drove all the way down to Anaheim to get a monoclonal... Uh, antibody treatment it was the only one available in California and I got there and they said no you've had symptoms for what 10 11 days now something like that I said yeah I said this will not only will not help you it'll probably make you probably make you sick make you worse um, 12 template says you said you took COVID very seriously because you saw all the movies so you had reason to fear you and everyone else were propagandized connects to the cowcasing game only works when the people are are not influenced exactly, but I wasn't listening to the news and I wasn't and, and when I started seeing the news. Showing the number of deaths right, well 6,000, 6, 12,000, another grim milestone twenty thousand people have died you know blah 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 I'm watching this on CNN and all the rest of these fear mongering places and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs basically to myself which is deafening sometimes. Okay. How many people died of heart disease during this time? How many people died of cancer? How many people died of, of of traffic accidents? Put those numbers up there too. Not because this is trivial, but because we need to have something to measure this against. I wanna know how, how, how risky is this? Is this more risky than driving my car? Are the number of COVID fatalities higher or lower than the number of traffic fatalities in the last three months which you keep shipping? They had nothing to measure it by, nothing. Just a, just a this thing going up, okay. Compared to what? They wouldn't give it to you. And when they wouldn't give it to you, that's when I began to really say there's something funny going on. I've talked about this many times, but Elon Musk, uh, his tweet and that little two- or three-day adventure really clarified what I was already thinking. For those of you who haven't heard me talk about this, must have been... Ill with COVID because I talk about it a lot. But basically, basically, in April, I think, of 2020, Musk basically said, we're looking at the data and we're and we're going to reopen the Tesla plant here in California. And the state of California said, no, everybody's locked down. And, and Musk, I should have this engraved in gold on my wall. Musk tweeted a graph and he said, here are your predictions for April 1st, April 15th, April 30th. Here's the total number of deaths here's time here are your predictions these big blue lines and down here across the bottom this little black line here these are the actual number of hospitalizations these are the number of hospital beds filled here's the real real data right down here along the baseline and here are your projections now you could have made these projections in good faith, or maybe you didn't, but the bottom line is these are all guesses, and this is real, and what's real is saying that our hospitals are not overloaded, and they're not overwhelmed. There's plenty of hospital spaces, plenty of rebreathers, I mean uh, ventilators, so we're going to open our plant, and if you want to arrest somebody, come arrest me, and they didn't. He opened the plant, but they didn't arrest him, and I realized, number one, that's what actual following the science looks like, based on data rather than predictions. Number two, The guy's got serious balls. And number three, they didn't arrest him because they had no legal ground to do so. They could only intimidate you. They could only threaten you. And that worked for virtually everybody who's not Elon Musk because a guy like that can go for a couple years without income. He could probably go for a couple of millennia without income. As a matter of fact, if you did the math, you'd probably find out he could probably go for several hundred thousand years without income. Uh, But in any event... Uh, there it is. Um, And so, and so, and so, and so. So what's going on here? I think, I don't see how you escape the conclusion. I don't see how you escape the conclusion. I don't see any way to escape the conclusion that we are being subjected to a specifically engineered bioweapon that was almost certainly released accidentally only because, only because, if you're going to release a bioweapon, I don't think I'd want the hotspot to be the Wuhan virology center. But whether it was released accidentally or not, it sure showed up at at a convenient time. Donald Trump had created the strongest U.S. economy in history, sailing along. Everything was grand. He was going to blow the Democrats out of the water. Next thing you know, everything's shut down. Next thing you know, he's being eviscerated for this. He's being eviscerated for that. He's always being eviscerated. All of these Russia collusion things are increasing, and then the media starts not only producing this narrative. Hydroxychloroquine. Donald Trump killed two people because he recommended that they drink an aquarium cleaner. Remember that? Remember that? Well, those people that told that story, whether they knew it or not, are responsible for the deaths of millions of people in the world. Millions of people have died. Millions and millions of people have died. More of them die every day because they are in hospitals being given the one drug that will kill them instead of the several drugs that could save them. They are being perpetually not just they're not just being misdiagnosed. They're being maldiagnosed. They are being murdered. And and that's the truth of it that's the truth of it and i know some people think that's nuts and i understand why they think that's nuts but i also have reached the point where i want to say what would it take to shake you from your conviction that everything is okay theoretically theoretically what would it take I'm not asking you to admit that this is going on. You think it's crazy. That's fine. What would it take to convince you? In other words, if somebody said to me, Bill, what would it take you to convince you that the moon landing was fake? I'd say, trot out the evidence. Trot out the evidence. It's going to take more than somebody saying these shadows don't align because because I know how lenses work. You'd have to have some very, in fact, I can't imagine, in fact, the only evidence I could imagine, even theoretically, that the moon landing was fake would be if they built a soundstage on the moon or in space, right? The reason I can't imagine the evidence that would be needed to convince me that the moon landing was a fake is because the moon landing evidence is so strong that the evidence to refute it is inconceivable. But nevertheless, there you go. So what would it take to convince you? I suppose what it would take would be to take me into, even that wouldn't do it. I was going to say take me into a studio big enough for me to drive a rover around, you know, essentially an infinitely large vacuum filled, uh, an infinitely infinitely large vacuum soundstage. And even that wouldn't convince me, because then why do you need the Saturn Vs? In other words, if you're going to build a rocket that's going to take 75, oh, who am I kidding, 93% of the total energy to go to the moon just to get this thing into Earth orbit, and you built that, and it launched, and they launched 12 of them or whatever, and I saw one of them with my own eyes, then there's no, then there's no argument. It's done. It's over. You lose. Yeah, I said vacuum-filled, and then I realized it's kind of not really... Somebody says somebody's vac- this is filled with a vacuum. You don't really get the whole vacuum thing really exactly to you. Um as a very rapid and extraordinarily uh, uh, Roy Hamill about the moon landing I did an analysis of whether it was possible to do a CGI version of it back then and all the processing power did exist if literally all computers on the earth at the time were used exclusively for that purpose and our current understanding of lighting models were used for writing their software yes it's not it but the issue is not computing time the issue is is Nobody knew, all you knew how to do in terms of computer graphics at that time was make a little dot move across the screen. So you could add all the computing power in the one you want to. You didn't have the software. And, and so that's out. And that software took 25 years to evolve. I know because I started with 3D Studio version 2.0. And that was in 1991. 24 floppy drives to install a pirated copy of 3d studio i watched graphics of all it's just it's just not possible it's not possible one thing that's interesting about that i mentioned this once or twice by the way the guys at nvidia i don't know what they're like in terms of their corporate culture but nvidia graphic cards are astonishing just astonishing And I think it was, no, it might have been NVIDIA or Unreal. Maybe it was Unreal. At the the 50th anniversary when I was doing Apollo 11, what we saw, I think it was Unreal. Unreal basically said, we are going to light the lunar module using physically-based rendering. This is the idea that you can mathematically apply a texture to a virtual object so that it will reflect light accurately, no matter what the lighting conditions are. Physically-based rendering means you can take a photograph of, uh, let's say you t- take a 360-degree panorama, put a 3D model in it, and the light coming from the green trees and the sunlight, all that, will light it accurately. It will, it will look exactly like it's supposed to. So Unreal basically did the moon landing thing, and they tried to get the lighting exactly right for the one shot of Aldrin coming down the lens, uh, LEM ladder taken by Armstrong, the shadows, and all the rest of it. So people are saying, oh, you, you know, it's, it's space, there's no atmosphere, so there wouldn't be any fill light. We'd have black and white shadows, and therefore the moon landing is fake. So they show you, without the surface of the moon, here's the single point of light from the sun, here's the lunar module, yes, absolutely. The lunar module, black as coal on the dark side, nothing there. And then they add the lunar surface, which is a giant reflector, which reflects light back on it. And I say, oh, look at that. But what really intrigued me about this was, they said, we, we got the moon texture right, we got everything right, and we, and we got Armstrong, and it was very, very close, very close, but it wasn't exactly matching, and we didn't know why. And they said, the reason it didn't match perfectly was we hadn't accounted for Armstrong. I talked about this before, and I know I've got it on my desktop because I saw it just a moment ago. Yes, the moon surface is reflecting light, but Armstrong is in a white space suit and he's reflecting light onto onto aldrin and the lem as well so then they modeled armstrong put him into the scene and then when the reflected light off of armstrong also lit the back of the Lem, then it was perfect people don't realize just one of my things i just really love because um because i had heard of this i'd known this since i was working in the planetarium when i was I, i knew this when i was 14. I knew that the moon is actually exceedingly dark. We look at a full moon and go, wow, it's so bright. It's actually as dark as as asphalt. The moon is about as bright as, as, as asphalt. It's astonishingly dark. And I've known that, but I haven't been able to feel it because it's just something I knew. It wasn't something I saw. And then they took this picture, which may have come from New Horizons. I don't remember which. But this is a picture of the Earth and moon. Coincidentally, the relative sizes are very close. So the spaceship is way out here, moon is is closer, here's the earth, but that's not what's interesting about this picture. What's interesting about this picture is it's exposed for the earth, and this is the relative brightness of the moon relative to the earth. That is an accurate representation of the colors of the earth. The earth is actually quite, it's almost underexposed, but that is not a composite that's not a photoshop thing that is the earth and the moon in the same frame with the same lighting conditions taken by a spaceship and it shows you just how dark the moon actually is and the reason i bring this up is because that fill light from that moon was enough to light the back of the lem so that even the presence of neil armstrong in a white suit would be significant pretty cool anyway so uh, yeah there's a there's a heck of a show that we uh, that we've done here today. Um, I um, can uh, come on I can um, link to, I'm not going to do it yet I'll do it, but I won't do it yet uh, link to this thing, this grand jury thing because it is it's, it's-, it's five sessions that are five hours each, and you have to listen to it the way I'm listening to it, which is while I'm driving. In other words, if you, I don't think you can listen to it as if you were listening to it. You have to just soak it up, and in most cases, you get to the point where you realize, well, wow, that person just talked for an hour and a half, and they, they made two good points that I could cover in 30 seconds. But the two doctors, the one from Texas showing the, the toxicity results, and the one, um, and the one uh, from the doctor in South Africa who, who basically figured out what's going on based on what the evidence was we give them this did they respond yes I think it might be an allergic reaction let's give them antihistamines 90 minutes later they're from 82% oxygen to 98% oxygen that's weighing the ox and uh, we didn't do that and I just I don't know the thing that scares me the most by far about the pandemic is how many people went along with it and how easily we did that's and in fact that's what they said during the grand jury that's a scary thing um anyway ask us about asking the ox what its weight is The good news in this is that, as I mentioned in the deep state surfaces, I'm always referencing myself, that way I don't get in trouble. Um, All of this has shown us that that the most crazy conspiracy theories about a small cabal of exceptionally rich and powerful people essentially running the world appears to be true Um, I don't know how um, I don't know I don't know of any other explanation for why every government in the world has accepted remdesivir as the only treatment that's that is a data point Um, people are asking me why I didn't play elite or why I didn't play. Kerbal, um, and they talk about Scott Manley. Scott Manley's got a great space channel. He's terrific. I love the guy. Uh, to answer your question, by the way, the, the, it's a very simple reason why, I'd, why I'd, I don't just simply stay at home and do nothing but Kerbal Space Program with my entire life, and that is the Kerbals. I can't stand it. I can't take it. If that, uh, I, it's just, maybe it's just me. I don't know what to say, but I cannot take the, 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 the Kerbals. I think they're cute, but But i have no desire to send little green smurfs on missions if this thing were if this thing were humanoids i'd be all over it and if it was humanoids in our solar system then i would be i'd never i'd never come back because it's pure physics and and i love it my friend fritz bronner uh, designed a book uh, a a board game called liftoff which was about designing your own space program and then it turned into buzz aldrin's race into space was the first computer game to use media like news reports and stuff um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to get involved with it, but every time I see the Kerbals, I just, no, sorry. And I understand why they did it, I just, not my cup of tea. Twelve Temples talks about the World Economic Forum. I'm going to have to get into this, and in fact, right now, I am, in terms of the grand jury, I'm on day four. They're just now talking about the vaccine. The next thing they're going to talk about is, um, is who's behind this and why. And and just saying that sentence kind of makes me sick, you know? I, I'm having like an allergic reaction to that sentence. We're going to find out just which of you, who's behind this. It sounds nuts. But was it, I guess it was Conan Doyle, basically, in the words of Sherlock Holmes, said once you've eliminated, um, you know, what is it, once you've eliminated the impossible then whatever is left however unlikely must be true something like that um there's I, I can't think of another explanation for it i wish i could and yeah and klaus schwab uh is out there bragging now um yeah mobile moto says uh putin cured the news cycle of covid and people some people say that the that the that the invasion of ukraine was Motivated by or commanded by this same group that's doing the, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing, I don't necessarily believe that true. I, I'm certainly not in a position where I, where I used to be, which is say, no, there's no chance. But I just don't, I just don't know. Um, but I, I don't know what to say. You know, I, I really don't know what to say. Um, because I, 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 not only do I not like these conclusions, I just don't. I just have a a very difficult time believing them and at the same time I don't see I don't see any alternative I don't see any alternative to it the people who are making these claims are geneticists microbiologists virologists clinicians statisticians and My skeptical side, which should be the essence of science, is saying, well, what if all these people are nuts? That's really, that's the assumption I go on. What if they're all nuts? What if they just made a collection of insane people? plenty of nuts out there with degrees. Okay. But then you look out into the real world and you see what actually happens in the real world that's beyond dispute. And it's beyond dispute that hospitals get paid more money for COVID cases than non-COVID cases that's beyond dispute pcr test is known to be a non-diagnostic tool that's beyond dispute the flip-flopping on the masks the attack on hydroxychloroquine that's beyond dispute all of this stuff actually happens and when i want to say no it just cannot be it cannot be it's just too many people involved then i say to myself all right well hillary clinton's walking around free I could show you the two federal statutes about failing to return documents of any kind at any classification level that she clearly broke and she's walking around free and we know that she that she invented this russian collusion thing we know that elements of the fbi were part of this we know that the fbi basically lied about basically said hey there's evidence that we need to investigate trump because uh, you know grand jury indictment kind of thing we need to investigate trump because of uh, because there's evidence he's colluding with the russians what's the evidence what's well, a newspaper story where would the newspaper guy get the story from got it from us um so i don't want to believe that but when i see a picture of james comey in a biden t-shirt with a big grin on his face, looking like a like a like a teenager at a at a sleepover party. That's an authentic photograph. And that is data. And and there it is, you know? There it is. Do you know about the man who invented the PCR test, Carrie Mullis, who died in August of twenty nineteen? I only know about the guy who develop the COVID pcr test i don't know if he's the guy who developed the original pcr technology um, helios says i'm the only person i know in michigan that never put a mask on once i'm i'm genuinely honestly proud of you um so look i think this is I think this is what's going on. I think, I, think that, I think that the elites of the world, they simplify this as much as I can. I've said this before too. I've known several millionaires in my life and I've gotten to meet maybe two billionaires, but I've looked at the actions of other billionaires. And I find that there is an enormous psychological difference between a millionaire and a billionaire. That doesn't seem to be logical, and it's certainly not obvious. But nevertheless, I become more convinced of this every day. The people I know who are millionaires are people who went into their own business to supply a need or follow a passion of theirs. classic example is Dr. Stipp, who is practically my second father. He invented this new version of of, uh, carbon-14 dating, and he took it out there to the market, and it and it was a magnificently successful product. And his company made millions and millions of dollars. But he didn't do it to make millions of dollars. He did it because he was a geologist and he wanted good carbon-14 dates. I've known other people who become millionaires through engineering. I've known people who become millionaires through through medical uh, work and so on. I've known a lot of millionaires, lots. And I admire them all because they're all hardworking people, first in, first out, and they are and they are following their passion which led them to millions of dollars but when you get into billions of dollars you start seeing a different kind of psychology you start seeing an acquisitiveness and one of the reasons although I probably never really admitted it to myself very often I know I've consciously admitted it once or twice but it's not something I keep thinking of one of the reasons I'm such a big uh, fan of Elon Musk is he strikes me as the only billionaire who's not psychotic um, Zuckerberg is a reptile. He's not that guy is so psychologically different from the rest of us. Just watch the social network, which is ten years old now, and watch how Zuckerberg treated the people around him before Facebook. When 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 Facebook was happening. Look at the people he screwed over and how he screwed them over and why he screwed them over and all of it. Um look at this. And then you look at look at when you see the names behind some of these things, you see all of these foundations, you know. I mean, Henry Ford was a was an anti-Semite, but he was an industrialist, and he produced something of value. He produced Ford cars. By the time you get to Henry Ford II, he wants to beat uh, Ferrari, and, and he's a decent guy. But now the Ford Foundation is just funding, you know, all this stuff. It is a war between the people who think they're smarter than everybody else and then the rest of us. And if they were smarter than everybody else i would be willing to listen to their argument right i mean you could make the case right in fact you could make the kind of case that i would buy if it turned out that that the that there was evidence that a group of very very smart people could lead humanity into a better future that that everybody's life was getting happier they were getting freer their diseases were going down that everything was if that were the case You could make the case. I still wouldn't buy it because I kind of value freedom, but nevertheless, you could make the case. But they don't. They they, they don't. They're they're bad at it. And so here we are. Sooner or later, sooner or later, uh, there will be a history of this written by some, some somewhat objective insect, overlord, um, but I did see, it is out there, the, the selfish um, ledger, I saw the Apple video, which is still online, where they talk about humans are essentially a series of mouse clicks, and that, and that, that mouse click pattern is, in fact, what Personality is, and that this goes on forever, and the entire, entire thing is about abandoning individualism and abandoning identity and realizing that we're all just data points in this gigantic, huge thing that's immortal and eternal and and and, and infinite, and and that and that we should just get used to the fact that that. Not only individual humans, but the whole idea of humans is outdated. They want to be—they want to be the gods of the, of the new of the. It's not even the new world order, see? Because when you really get down to what I think these people—this is me speculating—is the other stuff I've got evidence for. But me speculating is I believe that all of these people have been convinced that—and—and and with with plenty of evidence, by the way. That technologically immortality is achievable uh, or very close to being achievable and I believe that the reason that they're ready to throw all of humanity under the bus is because they they despise humanity they like each other but they think that anybody who's not in their club is just a, is just an idiot slowing them down um, and uh, Klaus Schwab's statement nobody will own anything and everybody will be happy is i think what their is i think their solution to the individual problem as long as they have their netflix and their and their smartphones and and uh really it as long as they have their netflix or smartphones and their starbucks then then they won't give us trouble and the shocking thing about the COVID pandemic is that's Precisely correct, yeah. That is what that is. What they learned. They learned that with the exception of, I don't know, 10 or 15% of the population, maybe more, hopefully more, um, they'll, they'll go along with it. And when Klaus Schwab says, no one will own anything, but everybody will be happy, my response to that would be, well, with all due respect, Dr. Mengele, when you say no one will own anything, certainly a private jet will not be in the, who, who is on the document for that. When you say no one will own anything, what you're saying is none of, the, none of the people will own anything. Somebody's gonna own that jet. Somebody's gonna own that skyscraper. Somebody's gonna own that yacht. When you say no one will own anything, what you're saying is none of you will own anything. We'll own everything, and you'll be happy. And maybe that's true. Maybe we will be happy. But if that's true, then we will be happy at the pleasure of the people that own everything, including your health care and all the rest of it and your food, and we're back to where we started, right? Forget about America even as a subset. We're back to where we started, which is we're the nobility, and your job is to feed us, fight for us, make us rich, and that's all you're good for. You, you you are our host organism. You will provide us with the things that we want. Um, and I have to tell you, I think they're going to lose. Uh, that, that's my honest, honest appraisal. I'm not just telling you that just to make you feel good. Honest to God, if I thought we were going to lose, I'd tell you. At least I'd tell you now. But I genuinely believe they're going to lose. And I believe they're going to lose because, because of the ox. Because they think they've got this all sorted out. And they think that their models reflect reality. But they don't. And they're too smart to realize that they're wrong. Well, I should have written that one down. But that's it. They're too smart to realize that they're wrong um and all around the world all around the world we're seeing examples of these leaders going to war against their own people 80 million votes for Joe Biden stop counting in the middle of the night wake up to find this thing Nobody knows how to question these things when we saw the you know the, the thing we're talking about right here here's here's Trump and here's Biden Right? and then at two o'clock in the morning biden goes up here and there they are right that's a graph that came out of five different states when somebody had the audacity to question this one of the people responsible for it said that was a data input error really yeah they've input the wrong number it was it was 10 times higher than it should have been that's what explains that little jump there was a the data input error we've corrected that I have two questions. Number one, thats three questions. Number one, are you telling me that the future of the country is dependent on one person's ability to correctly enter a string of numbers into a computer? Is that what you're telling me? Because I don't have confidence in that system. More importantly, why Did the person entering the data not be shocked by entering a number 10 times greater than what they thought it would be? If you've got a precinct with 40,000 votes and you enter 380,000 votes for Joe Biden, that should be something that you should correct. But much more importantly, much, 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 much more importantly is the fundamental question that I never heard one person ask. Here are the two graph lines. Here at like three o'clock in the morning, this, that's a data input error. Oh, oh, so it's explained then. Great. Then if it's a data input error and it was corrected, then it would go back down again, right? 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 You're giving me this graph, you're saying this this jump, which happened in all by by the way, that same data input error happened in five different states at the same time. But this this little jump here is a result of somebody who made an, an error in inputting data, okay, fair enough, people make mistakes. Then when the error is corrected, which you've assured us it has been, why doesn't it go back down again? If you added 100,000 votes that didn't belong there, put them in by accident, when you take them away, the number will go down again, but it doesn't. Why? It's been fact-checked, it's been debunked, okay, okay. I'm confident because because I'm confident because the smart people are not nearly as smart as they think they am <laughs> oh, Michelle English, that's impossible. Um, Joe Biden's the best you can do okay. Kamala Harris did you hear her? explanation of why there's war in Ukraine did you hear her story about how we must continue to do the things that we do and by doing these things we will do them and and continue to do them because they need to be done okay that's it that's all you got that's it Justin Trudeau in my opinion is the poster child for the World Economic Forum Future Leaders Program who is a intellectual lightweight who looked good and was very much like Barack Obama, was the kind of person that people wanted to believe in. And so Justin Trudeau became prime minister of Canada. And what I think happened was, I think when the trucker convoy started, he panicked because he's not a genuine leader. He's not, he, he, he didn't earn it. I think that all of these people behind this thing looked at what Trudeau did and said, you panicked, you moron, you know. We need to get somebody in here who's got a little more who's not so excitable you've just you've just revealed our hand you've just shown everybody moron i think he just i think he was just i think he was just you know boom boom Somebody you talking about um ben shapiro saying no evidence of widespread voting fraud i was on Daily Wire live with Ben Shapiro. In two thousand and twenty, when Trump came out and said something's going on, and Ben said that is the most irresponsible thing I've ever seen. The the president Donald Trump has no evidence that that there's anything uh, uh, improper going on, and I turned to him in real time and said, Ben, they've stopped counting in five states. That's the evidence. That has never happened before. It's so, it's so in front of your nose. You're looking for photographic evidence of somebody wiping out ballots. Five states have stopped counting them. Right? They did. Right? Yes. Some people are just. And I'm this way, too. There are things I just don't want to believe. I just don't want to believe them. And, and, um, and so I, I, I avoid believing them. And then finally, for everybody, comes a point when the evidence becomes enough to change your mind. And I changed my mind about this stuff. There was a period there after the election for about three days when, when I listened to the arguments that were being made to explain all these irregularities and there was a period of about two, three days there when I realized okay, it was, it was illegal. It was a, a legal, lawful, fair election. Whatever irregularities happened irregularities happen were trivial and didn't affect the outcome. And during that two or three days, I was actually very happy. I was happy that I was wrong. I was happy. I said, okay, losing an election fairly is not the end of the world having an election stolen is the end of the world. I'm, I'm glad I'm wrong about that. And then and then, I, then I watched the defense of, I watched the evidence of fraud, and then I watched the defense, the rebuttal. And the rebuttal was so weak that that gave me a high degree of confidence that, that, that they're wrong. Like I said with the graph, the rebuttal. It's, it's a data input error, okay? Then show me where the graph goes back down again. These are fundamentally logical questions. When they did when I, when I used the footage from um, State Farm arena, pulling these ballots out from underneath the table. A day or two later I got a bunch of emails from people from good people like you. So Bill, you, you, you might have blown this one. you know D- Take a look at the 60 minutes report that debunks the whole thing. So I took a look at the 60 Minutes report that debunked the whole thing, and there's a guy from the Georgian Election Bureau, whatever, the guy who's running the facility, who says, yeah, Donald Trump's promoting this misinformation. Look, we stored the ballots under there, and you can see here, if you back up the tape, you can see that they're sealing these ballots, that they're being sealed with the presence of observers and we're just storing them there until we recount tomorrow. You can see them being sealed. And then the 60-minute guy goes, oh, yeah, we, you're right. They are being sealed, and there are people there. I guess this whole thing is, is, a, is a lie. Yeah. I don't know why Donald Trump is, is, is telling these lies. And, and I'm watching this, and I'm saying, when are you going to get to the debunking part? That's the end of the segment. So then I say, okay, so a couple of questions for you. First of all, whether they're sealed or not, the idea of hiding ballots underneath a tablecloth does not strike me as standard operating procedure, but that's just an opinion. You claim that the counting was stopped. You claim it was because of a burst water main. You claim that you sealed the the ballots. Then you sent everybody home and told them that you're not counting anymore, and you recounted in the morning, and when you unsealed the ballots there were observers there. Yes. Well then why does the video show people taking things out of these supposedly sealed containers? Either they're not sealed or they are sealed and you're breaking the seal with the observers gone because that's what the video shows. Nobody answered that question. And you know what else nobody answered? Here's the question. This is the question. There's one question one question here one nobody asked it nobody there's one question here we we were told to stop counting at 930 who told you to stop counting and then we stopped counting and And then later we got the word that we should go ahead and continue counting who told you to stop counting and who told you to start counting again what is the name of the person that made that phone call to you and what authority do they have over you to stop you counting until you to resume counting who made the phone call they just just oh we we got a call saying so we, well, we should probably stop accounting okay so 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 where'd the call come from Georgia Bureau of Elections great who at the Georgia Bureau of Elections I'm waiting I'm waiting I'm waiting I'm still waiting these fundamental questions are the best evidence that there is this fundamental it's not it's not even it's not even evidence it's simply it's not even logic. It's 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 just causality, right? It's it's things that are that simple. Now, in there, in the message, in the signal, was a lot of noise. And one case of the noise was you saw people filling in ballots they had a blank ballot, and somebody else had a, had a was reading it, and this person was filling it, and aha, there's evidence that they're they're cheating. Turned out that that was an actual procedure used for damaged ballots, so they go through the counting machine. Okay. That's that's a reasonable explanation for that particular thing. The best evidence that I heard is the simplest evidence. It's so simple that when you hear it, you'll just react the same way that I did when I found out you can never own your house. You just lease the house from the government because if you don't pay the government your taxes, take your house so you don't own that house this is this is it somebody was talking about an election system in general and they said let's just imagine we've got a hundred voters and we've got a ballot box we know that there's a hundred voters and we know that a hundred votes went into the box now if we know that a hundred votes go into the box it's possible that one candidate will get a hundred votes and somebody else will not That's possible. It's not likely, but it's possible. But if 100 votes go into the ballot box and one person gets 60 votes and the other person gets 60 votes for a total of 120 votes, now you've got fraud. And you can't tell there's fraud unless you know how many votes are going into the box. If you don't know how many votes are going into the box, then there's no way to to judge the results that are coming out of the box. If 100 votes go in and candidate A gets 300 votes and candidate B gets 450 votes, then you know that's fraud. But if you don't know that there's 100 votes going in and you have simply no idea, none, then you come up with any numbers you want to. And that's it. That's it. That's all you need to know. Right. That's all. Nobody knows how many, bo- how many votes went into the box. Nobody. Nobody can answer that question. Theoretically, you could answer that question if you had an election day and if you had people who had to show up, show who they are, sign their name, match the address, then you could say, here's the total list of people who are eligible to vote. Here are the people that showed up. We just did the count, and four thousand three hundred ninety-two votes went into this precinct, and therefore, four thousand three hundred ninety-two votes have to come out, distributed however you want to. But as long as the input is unknown, then the output can be anything you want it to be, and there's no way to check it. No way to check it, none. But then there are things that just that you just have to ask. Joe Biden, Joe Biden outpolled Barack Obama. That black precincts voted for Joe Biden in significantly greater numbers than they did for, for for Barack Obama? No. No. Yeah, Helio said, excuse me, Bill, but I was told by the anti-racist that black people can't get to vote. Check make me bigot. Exactly. You can't ask for voter ID. You can't ask black people to get an ID. Why not? For, first of all, they'll have IDs. You can't cash a check anywhere without ID. You can't buy anything, you can't buy alcohol without an ID. I'm not saying that only black people buy alcohol, if that were the case, we wouldn't have so many alcoholics. But everybody knows this is true, so why would you make that argument unless you wanted to cheat? Why would you make any argument that reduces cheating unless you wanted to cheat? 1894 3030 is got the same thing where I am like any other the third world country rife with fraud we need to have an election day one day and you go down there and when you vote you dip your finger in indelible ink and you do this in front of everybody you come in you hand your ballot and before they put that in the box you dip your finger in the indelible ink here's my purple finger drop the paper ballot in there okay I have not seen uh, Dinesh D'Souza's new movie the 1,000 mules, 2,000 mules. He's got nothing but surveillance footage of people showing up at mailboxes, dumping in ballots. Several times they're wearing rubber gloves because they don't want their fingerprints on. it. 2 o'clock in the morning, street light on, guy shows up at a post office box, throws 60 ballots in there, wearing rubber gloves. I'm, to me, that looks like voter fraud. Give me a better explanation. Just give me a better explanation. You can't do it. You can't do it. And and so when people say, "Show me, show me somebody faking a, a ballot," well, I've heard a number of cases where ballots appeared and they were all filled out the same and nothing down the ticket either just president joe biden president joe biden nothing down the ticket because that takes more time <coughs> now if it turns out that all these accusations are false then it should be able to you should be able to clearly debunk them i can clear anybody tells me the moon landing is false i can provide evidence that it's true all of these claims about the election integrity if they're false then somebody should be able to provide evidence that they're true and when they attempted to do that like on the 60 minutes piece the logical holes in their defense is not only a failure to defend it, it's evidence that they're lying. Because when somebody has to put up a weak rebuttal to something, that means that they don't have enough evidence to put up a strong rebuttal to something. This is what, this is what debate taught me, right? This is how you think about things. If I say something, appears to be true, and you say, no, it's not, I say, okay, well, tell me why it's not, and then you tell me why it's not, and your explanation for why it's not is weak, then that's telling me that it must be true, because if it weren't, you would have a much stronger response. Um, anyway... I am going to do. Um, oh, is Twitch got radar? I'm. I'm still broadcasting. I guess. I guess uh, Twitch is going to ban me too. I could survive that. Um. Anyway, uh. I've got the original, so we'll put it on Rumble. And we'll um. We'll do something else. Matter of fact. Stick around because here's what I'm going to do. Um. I'm going to end the show, keep the recording, and then I will upload this, put it on Rumble, and stick around because I'm gonna end the show, and then I'm going to start a very quick Stratosphere Lounge for YouTube, which will be about 30, 40 seconds long. Well, knowing me, that means two and a half minutes. And, um, And that's what we'll post on YouTube. All right, um, so anyway, uh, this show's made possible by the members of BillWhittle.com, who allow us to talk about free things freely. Three hours and nine minutes, that includes the, uh, oh, the recording time. Three hours and ten minutes. We don't record the walk-in, so I, we beat the three-hour line. Um, yeah, and you can stream on Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey is where I saw the, uh, the, the, the jury, the, the grand jury thing. Um, okay. Any link for the grand jury, It, it is, yeah, hang on. I'm pretty sure it's, I'll just double check it. G-R-A, let me check it. N-D-G-U-R-Y dot net. Yes, there it is. Prepare to do some sifting. CP Tome says, Bill, F-100 flying at AirVenture 2022. I think I saw one a couple years ago. I was last there in 2015. There was for sure an F-100 there, and I'm virtually positive it was in the air, but I'll go see an F-100 anywhere. And what I really want to do is I want to go to see F-100 with, not just with Bert Rutan, I want to see an F-100 with Dick Rutan, who flew those mean bastards those American muscle jet is what it is uh, for um, the Misty flights in Vietnam which I thought was more interesting than the Voyager flight to be honest with you and I thought the Voyager flight was damn interesting um oh that's an idea Dave all right so here's what we're gonna do we're gonna end the show now thanks again to the members we're gonna end the show and then I'm gonna then don't go away I'm gonna come back and we're gonna do the um promo for the show which will go to YouTube which which there you go all right here we go all right, so thanks for joining us. We'll see you uh, next time here uh, on the uh, Free Speech Capital of the World, the uh, for Lounge. And um, don't believe everything you read in the papers.